it was crazy to see some guy go around a turn and he's like, all right, man, I'm gonna do it. And I remember like getting all scared on my board. And, okay, all right. And then I see him do a huge pendy and I'm like, holy shit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's nuts to me. Hey everybody, it's the Venom Skate Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Matum. This episode is with my good friend, Danny Connor, and it was recorded uh, at the 2020 Barrett Junction Outlaw Race, possibly the only North American longboard event of 2020, so I'm really glad that I made it, and I'm extremely glad that we were able to coerce Danny into making the trip down. He's uh, living in Ridgecrest these days where he got his start in downhill, you'll hear about, and it took uh, a little bit of coaxing from myself and Max Caps to make sure that he got in the truck and made the drive, and we were sure glad he did. It was super great to see him. He brought all kinds of super cool boards and photographs and posters and trophies and just general memorabilia from his racing career with him that we've got some cool video of him talking about and going through all these boxes of incredible memories. And it was just super cool to be able to get together and have this conversation at Barrett because it's some place that I've spent a lot of time. Danny spent way more time than me. You know, he's been going there for 20 years. But it's one of those places that if it's special to you, it's really special to you. And somebody else, you know, who feels the same way about it, just other people don't get it. And if you don't get it, I'm sorry. And it's funny, people are always saying, oh man, wouldn't it be so great if they repaved Barrett? And I always say the same thing, which is that if they repaved Barrett, I wouldn't have any reason to go there anymore. So if you don't know Danny or you have never met Danny, he's an excellent guy. You know, one of the people who I gravitated towards almost immediately when I got into the downhill scene. And at, when I first started racing, I was, you know, 16, 17. And that was kind of where he was at when he entered the scene. So some people compared me to him early on. And it always seemed like a compliment that they were saying that I was like he was. So that always made it seem like he was going to be somebody worth getting to know. And of course, I'm really grateful for all the time that I've got to spend with him over the years. And it was really cool to get to see him again at the iconic spot and catch up. You know, now I think he's got a kid and he's you know still slugging out on construction and just getting on with life the way we all do. But so big shout out to Danny for making this one happen for me. I'm, I'm just thrilled to have gotten this conversation down in print. And a huge shout out, obviously, to Danny's ever supportive and awesome wife, Sue, uh, who was always really, really cool to me, even when I probably didn't deserve it. I think uh, I was not, I was of a minority of people uh, who she let come in the house back in the day, and uh, I probably didn't deserve it at the time. So maybe she saw something good in me that I was do trying pretty hard to cover up back in those days. So. Anyway, the big thanks to Danny and Sue, and gosh, I hope we get to see you guys again soon in the nearer rather than farther future. Anyway, everybody enjoy. Okay, so we're back. Another Barrett Junction. It's been, uh, I've been coming here for 11 years. How long have you been coming here? Um, I, the first time I came out here was in 1999. Okay. And uh, so let's go even back before then. Uh, 
as I try to do this with everybody, what was your first skateboard? You know what? I gotta retract already. My first time out here was in 2000. Okay. Yeah. So it's my 20th this is 20 year. years. Okay. Yeah. Kind of. Hold on. <laughs> Sorry about that. No problem. Um, my first skateboard. Like very first. Yeah. The first skateboard I remember riding um, and actually trying to push on and maybe ollie up a curb or whatever was it was a California classic like a some sort of just skateboard that um, it was like a complete that you could buy at a drugstore or whatever right and I remember skating it home from my friend's house because it was in front of his house and got to my house the person that owned it came and picked it up, and that was it. I didn't think about skateboarding for a long time until one of my good friends, his name is Chris Lauritsen, he came to me one day and he was like, dude, I got this board, and he's like, yeah, it's sick, and I'm gonna order a, a board from CCS, and I'm like, dude, okay, whatever. I knew nothing about skateboarding at that time. But you still remember the first time you rode one. You didn't think about skateboarding for years, but you remember that. Right. Yeah. So like the first time, it, I don't know, it was, it was different. It, instead of trying to kind of be a badass, it, it was just more of just pushing awkwardly Mongo and just going up to curbs and kind of kicking it up the curb and uh -huh. getting back up on the, that portion of the sidewalk. And then, you know, like I said, didn't think about it for a while. And then uh, he got me fired up, Chris did, on getting aboard. He ordered one, and he was showing me, like, dude, I'm going to put it together. It's, uh, it was a Santa Cruz, and it was, like, 36 inches. And yeah. it was a, a double kick by, like, eight and a half. Yes, this, this, is, a is, the, huge, this is the longboard Rick board. Yeah. Yeah. Huge board. And... So immediately I was like, whoa, dude, Chris is the coolest dude ever, and I hang out with the guy, and so I need to get a skateboard too. <laughs> so, and asked him, or I'm sorry, asked my parents to get a board, and uh, kind of had to measure, you know, well, Chris is getting a board that this, that's this long and this wide, and his trucks are this wide, and so I wanted to order a board kind of similar and it was a uh, a Powell no kaoi board with indie 169s nice pig wheels pig bearings and pig risers so what year would this have been that would have been 1997 okay so these pig wheels were like 52s uh they were more like 54s or okay. 56s if i remember all right correctly. that's pretty big for 90, yeah. 90s yeah okay so, so anyway and this is in ridgecrest in ridgecrest so ridgecrest california is a small town in the desert yeah so not so, a lot of skating terrain zero skateboarding terrain <laughs> at that point and at that time all the skateboarders um you know they were all dudes that were into like what was in CCS at the time so you know big puffy shoes and kind of
kind of guys that were hating on us for uh, trying to ride longer boards. And it got to the point to where we were just kind of like, ah, whatever, dude. And we were hanging out with some guys that they, uh, they actually rollerbladed. Oh, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> rollerbladers. And we called ourselves the MRC, the Minority, Minority Rolling Crew. So it was like you and your buddy who had sort of long boards. Like your board wasn't that long. And like a gang of, and you squatted up with rollerbladers. Yeah. And recognized your status. Yeah. Okay. So that's fantastic. Yes. Counter, um, Ridgecrest counterculture movement. Yeah. 1998. Yeah. The minority rolling crew being um, us uh, not skating on the most favorable pieces of equipment. You weren't like with <laughs> element boards and like. Correct. Thunders. Venture Superlights. We weren't upper echelon skateboarders. So anyway, um, the crap talk went on for a long time, actually. In high school, like, I'm not kidding. The uh, older kids that skateboarded would kind of hate on me, and my friend as well, and be like, you guys are like bags, and you know, duh, duh, you can't even kick flip, and fuck you. And so it was just like, it kind of fueled the fire to, to just sort of rebel against that like sort of mentality. And I guess that's where the MRC came in. Um, <laughs> we're going to handle our rollerblade funds even more now. Yeah. But, you know, there were friends that we'd known for a long time. Anyway, I, I guess that's neither here nor there. But um, so after skating for a while, we'd kind of just cruise around and, you know, up in driveways and... Uh, I had a, that Chris Lauritsen friend. He he was pretty good at skateboarding. He he'd roll off benches on his gravity like 42 hypercarve with R2s on it Whoa. and massive wheels. Like he he was a good skateboarder and you know he's kind of good at everything he did. But um, see, so yeah, I was hanging out with them for a long time, and then uh, that's kind of when. Uh, I got into the longboarding thing, and it's going to be kind of crazy for some of the younger listeners to realize, but the internet was not as big of a thing as it is now. Right. And like, in 1998, um, to go to a website and uh, dial up, figure out where you're going to go, type it in, hope to get there. Hope it can produce the content you're looking for. Uh, that could have been like an hour and a half right. ordeal. <laughs> hour and a half. 45 minutes maybe. And then you'd kind of get into a rhythm and you'd, okay, cool, I, I found this website. So NCDSA, the Northern California Downhill Skateboard Association. When was, did, do you know when NCDSA went live? I have no it idea. It used to say on the site, right? It was like, what year to what year? Giant, do you know? Offhand? Yeah, yeah. That's, was, that seems familiar. 96, 97. Okay, so NCDSA was a, was a message board, but it was like a primitive one, like no accounts, like you had to type in your name. like. And you made up your own name. Right, right, right. You know. Which was fun. That was fun back in the day. <laughs> yeah. And... You could kind of type something and hope it went through. Right. 
Because it would take a little while to show up, like it wasn't yeah. instant. And then you'd have to come the next day and see what someone said about it. Right. Yeah. So you found wild. NCDSA? Found NCDSA, and then I... Um, After, like, going to, like, like typing longboarding into Ask Jeeves. Literally. <laughs> typing stuff like that into, like, a search engine. Right. Back then was a new thing. Right. And so, yeah, NCDSA came up, and, dude, I was all about it. Like, that was, like, the coolest crap ever, because, like, finally... Uh, a kid from Ridgecrest had something to do, you know, and... Um, so how old were you in 97, 98? 97, wow. 97. Um, you're trying to get me to do math here. That's okay. Uh, what year were you born? 83. Uh, so in 98, you would have been 15. Yeah, and like the other things to do in Ridgecrest would have been like uh, crystal meth, um, dirt biking, dirt bikes, dirt right. holes. Yes, we did dirt holes also. Uh, <laughs> what is a dirt yeah. hole? Oh, dig holes. A dirt hole is when you dig a hole. That's it. That it makes it a dirt hole. <laughs> <laughs> like all holes are dirt holes. Yeah. Okay. Well, so you're like you yeah. got like dirt holes, dirt bikes, crystal meth. So yeah, coming, alley. coming from like an entire childhood of chasing snakes and lizards and okay. digging holes. Okay. Uh, I, we didn't have dirt bikes. Like but NCDSA was like a portal dude, to a whole other world. It, it like blew my entire mind. So I saw an ad for an EDI race in Mammoth at, down the scenic loop. Cool, and that's and the, so the Mammoth Scenic Loop race, that was the one with like the big panoramic right-hand turn? Correct. Which is super iconic, it's like usually shot from above? Yes. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so, um, prior to that time, it, you know, it just been me screwing around on this long board that I found online, it was a free ride board, and it was this crazy kind of fish, concave shape that had a big tail. Was free ride the brand? Freeride was the okay. brand. Never yeah. heard of it. Freeride, and it was called, uh, uh, I can't remember what the model was what called. What trucks? B2 trackers. Whoa. Yes. With freeride wheels made by Kryptonics. Oh, nice. Okay, so some decent componentry. Yeah. Uh, long story short, Sector 9 ended up buying freeride. I don't know oh, where that name's gone. But. Interesting. <laughs> you know what? I remember seeing some stuff a while ago when I was over at Sector 9. It was like another line they were developing that was like a budget cruiser line. It was freeride. Yeah, and it's crazy because... So I bought the one board, and I loved it so much, and... Um, I ended up buying what was my first speedboard through Freeride, strictly being because it was short and it was like 11 plies, so it was stiff and short. But Freeride, was, was, it, was it like, was that board sold as a speedboard? No. Okay. It was just Hell a no. stiff longboard. Yeah. Okay. It was a pigtail with a cutout front nose. Yeah. Okay. So, um, that was my only knowledge. So anyway, yeah, we were um, bombing, it. well, not bombing hills at that point, just went to Mammoth and saw that, and it blew my mind, and uh, that's when I saw it on NCDSA, sorry, I'm trying to... Oh, no, no problem. Yeah. So you, um, saw, you saw an ad for the Mammoth race? Saw it, and then, so my dad 
just being super supportive, like badass he is, he was like, we're gonna take you up there, or I'm gonna take you up there, and uh, let's go check it out, cool. My dad's always down for an adventure. Right, you just got fired up about this, and he was like, <laughs> so, it's only in Mammoth, let's go. Yep, so he took uh, my friend, Chris and I, and we went up to Mammoth, um, and they were racing at the scenic loop, and so as kids, we, you know, my dad was like, where do we park? Uh, Okay, right over here, and pulled over, and we just got out and threw our boards down, and biker comes out of a trailer right at the top of the hill. Skateboarders on a megaphone. Get off the racetrack! And we're like, oh my god, that's Biker Sherlock. And like, you know, we didn't think he was gonna be there, but then like seeing him there, it was like, holy shit. Like, to me, that was badass, because that's when I was getting into longboarding. So, 98, like, Biker was already super pro. Oh, yeah. He was like, that's when he was, was already happening. That's when he was transitioning from X Games to Gravity Games. So, okay. he had like, Full gear, Sobe gear. He was pro, uh, like he was all ready his to stuff go. was crisp. Yeah, so we were a little intimidated. Like, we're like, oh my God. So we sat there that day and watched them race uh, street luge, inline, and downhill skateboarding. And it, it just blew me away. Like, it was the sickest thing I'd ever seen. And I'm not kidding. Lee might not remember it, but he came down his qualifying run and did, like, one of those. Like, threw the guns at you? Yeah. And got back into his tuck and just kept going. And we were like, oh, my God, you know. And so at the end of the race, they got us back up in the U-Haul. And we got to go check it out and see the the award ceremony and all that and somebody was like you guys can come with us to shaky's pizza and i was like nah we gotta get back to ridgecrest but dude they hooked us up with so many stickers and everything and dude so from then on i was like downhill skateboarding that's it be like you got to get a look at their gear a little bit too oh yeah like you saw what a downhill board was i saw these huge boards so in my head like a downhill board and at that time, I think Dregs was making a downhill board. I think uh, Sean Mallard had a board out. Yeah. Um, yeah, 98, he would have had a board on Madrid. Yeah. That, like, plain wood with the duck graphic. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Uh, well, it was a Danzy board, but it kind of wasn't. It was with GNX, GNS Fiberflex or whatever. But... Um, there wasn't much at all. So I remember just seeing their boards and like just tripping and like, holy crap, like, dude. And, uh, you know, that's, <laughs> that's when Randall, it was www.randall.com. Right. Early domain names. Like he didn't have to have Randall trucks. Like he just have Randall. That was just, that was it. That was downhill trucks. That was it. That's it, and that's all. And you could get them through Skates on Height or Hate. Skates on Hate. Skates wow. On hate. I'm sorry, Height. Uh, Skates on Hate. You could get them through there. Uh, you could get them through CCS. Was touchy, I think, at the time. No, no, no. Like no, they I'm didn't sorry. carry a ton of longboard stuff yet. Not CCS. Um, there was another. 
mail order. I can't remember, but Remember, this is mail order, not no online sales haven't been invented yet. It was something that Randall had. There, yeah, it, I think it was some luge guy had it through his website too. Okay, and I think he bought a bunch of stuff and just kind of is <laughs> in his garage to be honest. Yeah, but anyway, so yeah, dude. At that time, it was just it was. Like I said, uh, a Dregs board, uh, a Sean Mallard board, um, you know, maybe whatever longboard anybody had, that, and then Randall's and Cherry Bombs. And Randall's at that time, did they have Randall Downhills and R2s? At that, at that time, um, the Comp 2s, which are the floating the, the axle trucks. speedboard trucks. Okay, excuse me, right. I was corrected so, on this by Cludy as well. The 180s yeah. are speedboard trucks. They're yeah, so trucks. they're a little more narrow. And then the luge trucks are the, the wider ones. And the luge trucks typically had a, a steeper... Right, they made a 60-degree base plate for the luge right. trucks. Right, yeah. So the... Uh, well, they're on my TDS board over there, but... Yeah, yeah the Comp 2s. The Comp 2s are on a 35-degree angle. Okay. So same as the... The Randall downhills, yeah, um, but just with the floating axle. And then there's the loose trucks, and you get into however many varying degrees he had with uh, the base plate and right. so forth. So, so yeah, there there weren't many choices. It was just kind of like, well, shit, man, I, what do I want? I, uh, this free ride board looks cool because I've been riding free ride boards. Uh, even though it's tiny, yeah, well, I'll just get these Randalls and these Cherry Bombs, and so that's what I hooked it up with. Nice, so, and so <laughs> it was like kind of a pintail shape? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so the truck stuck way out past the size of the board. Dude, and <laughs> because Randalls were so, uh, the casts varied tremendously. Oh, God, they were horrible. Um, what I did was I... Uh, in my back and my front, I just kind of mounted it on the front truck and then just drilled through. Right. So, you know, listeners, if you weren't around in this time, uh, Randall base plate drilling was like freestyle. Like, if you got three bolt holes that lined up with your board, it was a miracle. It was much more likely, like Danny was talking about, to like you could pick out two and then you just had to drill a hole through your other truck hole to make it. And like ovalize the hole sufficiently, you can mount your truck. It was horrible. Well, and it's not like I even went to my dad to ask him about it because right. he would have been like, "Dude, make sure that thing's straight," you know? Right. Not just like make <laughs> it work. However, and uh, as a as oh, that's as fun. myself now, I'm like, "Dude, what were you thinking?" But anyway, right, I just been like, I just drilled them. <laughs> I just kind of hammer, you know, made it made sure they were screwed down and took off on that thing and I'm not shitting you it was like one of those old trucks you see on the freeway that's kind of jacked uh-huh. it was like lightly sideways, crabbed sideways yeah but it's still going <laughs> straight right the deck like travels diagonally yeah. but in a straight line yeah that's what my downhill board did oh no <laughs> so it would just kind of go down and that's before I discovered that um, the hill that ended up becoming the race hill but uh, yeah, I kept trying to turn right, and I couldn't figure out why. I couldn't. Uh-huh. 
It's because the, the back end was pitched up like half an inch. So when you went to Mammoth, did those guys have slide gloves? No. Hell no. They just had leather gloves? Yep. Oh my god. Yeah. So you didn't obviously have slide gloves either? No. Um, dude, I'll tell you when it was. I can't, I can't remember exactly the moment or what date it was, but um, there was a time to where I was on the computer and this is when like, you could finally start taking pictures and they would go on the internet within hours right. of it happening. It still and took them like a minute to load, but they were there. I want to say it was in 2001 or two that I saw pictures of Biker and Gary going around turns with massive cutting boards on their hands. Like a full-size cutting board on each hand? Yeah. Yes. And like grabbing rail and cranking around turns. Sink button, though. I don't remember what race it was, but I, you know quote me on that but still but so but it was like at mammoth it was still like pure speedboarding no like all sweepers and straights drag racing yeah it was just like no hard cornering just go okay yeah so so you got your you got your downhill board and you started like dinking around in the ridgecrest area yeah and so you saw a race i would assume that you had ambition to do that well when i went to mammoth i was like this is awesome and like I, I kept going up to the hills in Ridgecrest, and um, like I was telling you, the the hill aside from, on the opposite side of the race hill, mm -hmm. there's a hill that just kind of goes straight and turns right rather than left. So I practiced that as much as I could. Got mad as I, because I couldn't turn. Because <laughs> your board didn't <laughs> like, work. Because did you yeah, have cherry you have bombs? Oh, dude, full leathers. Okay, so you got gear. Yeah. Okay, good. Full motorcycle helmet. And I would just go off in the dirt and just get pissed, you know? Because <laughs> like, I had no, I had no clue. I like, I your mean, trucks were probably super tight, too. Oh, I'm, I'm sure they were just cranked. Right. So yeah. there's no way you were going to make the turn, even if your trucks were on straight. Right. So, you know, it was, it was difficult. But um, then I started going to that, the race hill, and started getting good at putting my foot down before the turn, the left it. turn, yeah. But I was breaking Mongo. All right, you pushed Mongo originally. I did, for, so, for many years. When did you make the conscious decision to switch? Dude, it just got to the point to where it wasn't working anymore. It was just because it was impractical to foot break that way? Uh, no, that's, that's probably around the time to when Cause I- Cause like, I'm sure those other guys in high school fucked with you for that too. You know, to be honest, I I didn't skate with anybody in high school. But like the the like CCS catalog guys, like they didn't hate on you for being a longboarder and Mongo. Well, by then they were already graduated oh, okay. and they were gone. They were like but, into dirt bikes and crystal meth. And then <laughs> no, they were just into <laughs> into video games and okay. smoking pot or whatever. I mean, dude, it, when I graduated high school, it, there were no other skateboarders. Whoa, like Brutal. maybe one or two that tr tried to kickflip once or twice, but. Um, yeah, it just was kind of non-existent. So you were just like lone soldier trying <laughs> to make the corner. Yeah. Cool. Just kinda, and then Man. trying to learn how to skate at a skate park because that's when... So that skate park got built. Yeah. Cool. And that's the first time I broke a, a bone was at that skate park. <laughs>
before it actually opened. Oh, nice. That broke my wrist. Sweet. But, uh, but yeah. So it was, it was just like a slow introduction to skateboarding because being out in Ridgecrest, dude, it's pretty isolated, right? Not a lot of influence. And it's not like now where like you'd have a portal through the internet to like the world of skating. Right. Like you had to go on NCDSA like every few days to see if there were any new posts. Yeah. And then, and then see if someone, like I said earlier, remarked to what you said. Right. Oh, oh, he, he heard what I said. Oh, cool. Right. Yeah. We're going to see each other in a month and a half. Right. <laughs> you know? So what happened next? How, when did you get to your first race? What was... What was the next so, step when you started to be able to foot brake and make the corner? So I started foot braking, making the corner, and then it was just kind of like, you know, I think I can do this. And um, this is all kind of overlapping, to be honest. I, uh, my first race was in 2000, and then my first race here at Barrett would have been um, Mammoth. 2000 okay. and then Barrett again in 2000 okay so it is 20 years of Barrett. I'm sorry yes that's what confused me Mammoth was 2000 Barrett again in 2000 and then 2001 for my 18th birthday same school year for me that's why it was a little confusing I was trying to put it together in my yeah. head so yes when I, when I started to learn how to foot brake out there in Ridgecrest, I thought I'd try my luck out here at Barrett, and I learned about the Barrett race through NCDSA as well, and that's when Frank Waterhouse was hosting these races. So right, so before it was EDI, before it was before IGSA, anything. yeah. And Frank Waterhouse lived in that one house, on, like the trailer on Barrett. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Up across the street. Right. Yeah. And so, listeners, a uh, point of. Interesting point. Frank Waterhouse attended some of the Buffalo Bill races, and he lives like two minutes from Coop now in Allens Park, Colorado. I'll probably get him on here at some point. But he even came out and took a couple of runs, like skated, maybe eight, nine years ago in Estes Park. And like he wore an aero helmet with like no visor and like shit can leathers and ate shit all over the place, but he was fired up. Wow. Yeah. He was like, he hadn't skated in a long time. So yeah. he was putting on races here. And how did he, do you know how he got here? I have no idea. Okay. He was friends with Darren Kessing. Okay. As far as I knew, um, that was through Rick Flutie. Okay. I knew that. And then Frank was always cool. His wife, Michelle, they were always out here and, you know, making sure everyone had a lot of fun. And, um, but yeah, let's see. Yeah, I came out here. And just ate shit the entire way. Like, <laughs> right, because these corners are like, especially Barrett was a whole lot smoother back then. Mm -hmm. Like, I've been to the race hill in Ridgecrest. This is so much faster. And the, like, the turn shapes are three-dimensional. There's banking. There's, you know, features that you would just not have even had access to in that part of the state. Yeah. So it was not something for which you were entirely prepared. What was, your, what was your setup that you brought here? <laughs> so I think I was racing on a dregs board. Um, okay, with, so you had a bigger board. Yeah. It was a dregs board with 35 degree downhill okay. trucks and orange kryptonics. All right. So state of the art. Yeah. For the most part, other than the not comp twos. 
but just I I had no I, I didn't know how to even navigate a freaking turn and <laughs> it was crazy because there was a guy that uh, that I had met online and he was some dude from San Diego and he was like yeah man I'm gonna be out there and so he came out here and it was the first time I'd ever seen someone do a pendy in my entire life who was it? and like his name was Brad um, dang it I can't remember Brad's last name um, Shoot, it'll come to me later. But he could slide. But yeah, uh, he was all online and he was trying to put together a team, a downhill team, and he wanted young, cool dudes. And he was a young guy himself, you know, but that was like in the height of X Games. Everything was rad, you know, cool. And right, like it was, on, it was on TV. It was yeah. like, so it was real. It was crazy to see some guy go around a turn and he's like, all right, man, I'm gonna do it. And I remember like getting all scared on my board. And, okay, all right. And then I see him do a huge pendy and I'm like, holy shit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was nuts to me. And so I just, I did what I could. I foot broke Mongo and went around the turn and you know, I've, I've eaten a lot of crap learning how to foot break correctly. <laughs> but, uh, but yes, going back to Mongo, um, had to learn when I started skating park a little bit more, I learned too. So you can actually like run and throw your board down. Yeah, throwing down Mongo is some messy business. But, but yeah, so yeah. So first race at Barrett, who was there? Who was like, what were the big name guys who you'd seen before or heard of that showed up here? So at that point I had just, you know, this is all when the internet's still coming to fruition and I had just met Rick Clutie online so I saw him here and we kind of knew who each other were because you know hey look for me and you know this board and that and <laughs> you know uh, um, right it's not like NCDSA you didn't have a profile picture like you had to describe yourself so you could meet up with somebody and right. they would know who you were yeah so I remember Rick Clutie um, Gary Hardwick uh, John Osmond um, the Rogers Brothers, um, DT, DT was out here. Yep. Yep. Um, dang, I'm trying to think who else. Chris Chaffet was a huge, he started coming around the same, Chris Chaffet and I raced each other in our first heat. At Barrett? In Mammoth. Oh, so like in your first heat, you raced Chris Chabot. Yeah. Who else? If you Rob McKendry. Okay, right, or you were trying to find this photo earlier. Hopefully yes, we'll I couldn't we'll, find it, but we'll it was it me, Chris Chaffet, Rob McKendry, and I'm sure, McKendry, if you're listening to this, he'd probably remember William Beauchevaux or whatever his name was, but yeah. That was the fourth guy. The fourth fella, and Rob and I did not advance. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, Anyway, so yes. So how? So your first race at Barrett, like, did you even advance a heat? Like, did you make a no, run without crashing? Um, I didn't, I, dude. The first three times I came to Barrett, I couldn't make it down without crashing. Oh wow. Yeah. So after my first race here, my dad was all fired up. He's like, anytime you want to go down there, let's make it happen. Um, he like so he wasn't like, man, maybe you're no good at this, like. 
No. Cool. Yeah, like, dude, he he knew I loved it because right. at the same time he was jamming me up and down the hills in Ridgecrest. Cool. You know, and he he was fully supportive. My parents both were, and that was like a huge, huge thing in any sort of success I've ever had in downhill skateboarding was yeah. the fact that my parents made sure to like foster that sort of desire to to bomb hills I guess and this is kind of a weird side thing but my sister she uh, she's a corner deputy so my parents kind of they raised some crazy kids you know uh -huh. <laughs> and I think they kind of dig it even though they're not so crazy themselves but um, yeah no they were they were all about it so my dad used to bring me out here and so I met Rick when I came out here and then Rick and I kept in contact and one day he invited me out to go skate hills with him and had me meet him at his house in Lemon Grove I was 16 years old and uh, Jimmy Flint was there Whoa. So, <laughs> so I went from coming to Barrett and just kind of eating shit the entire time. I had a, uh, a street luge too that that Brad guy, his uncle made street luges or he was a metal guy and he kind of put together a street luge that I tried to race here and didn't do too well. So, coming But at off that time, that, like, street luge was a big deal. Street luge is a huge deal. So, like, if you were raised in gravity, anything, like, it made sense to have both. Yeah. Or, you know, to me, I thought, I just thought it was badass. I thought everything was cool. Right. You know? So, um, so, yeah. Uh, met Rick, went out and skated with him and Jimmy. We did, uh, Honor Camp and we did Blossom and... I had never actually like been in a, a situation with people before to where it was like shoulder to shoulder and kind of being pinballed. Yeah, you yeah, because you only ever skate by yourself or well, crash all the way down Barrett. Like. <laughs> and then there's a hill, it's just a little bit uh, west from here that we were doing and we were going like low 50s and just all three drag racing for like a mile. <laughs> you know, that. That's how it was. I mean, like, but you were, but this. So at this point, you were good enough that you were able to drag race Rick Clutie and Jimmy Flint, who were kind of established racers. Yeah. So that's pretty. I, that'd be pretty cool. You know, it was it was awesome to me. It was just cool to, to just do it, and I remember kind of going oh and being all scared, and then you know we were kind of bouncing back and forth, and we'd get our bearings back, and then kind of draft each other, and it was kind of this slow sort of motion uh like <laughs> we're just having fun and uh, shit i mean to today it wouldn't seem like anything yeah know? but like we we're talking about this calvin and i were talking about this after we were leaving cleanie's house yesterday that it was kind of i think it was a different deal at that point because the riding technique and the gear were so undeveloped compared to where they're at now that like Bombing any hill was like a fairly major event. Yeah. Like lots of stuff could go wrong and you had no defense mechanisms. Like you couldn't like reliably 
foot brake to a stop in a straight line really fast. You couldn't like pendy in a bike lane, like all the stuff that we might do now to survive an unexpected situation. Like if you dropped in at the top of a hill, you were committed to bombing it to the bottom or eating shit. Like there were no outs. So that type of thing could be pretty exciting. Right. And I could see that, but at the same time, it was just, you know, for somebody who had never actually ridden next to anybody, um, it was pretty spooky. Yeah. And even during my first two races, um, I'd, I'd never been next to anyone. Even though I tried to, to push out, it, you know, I, I was never good at pushing and still wasn't good at skateboarding at that time. And so, you know, first couple of years were a little rough. <laughs> you know, we couldn't watch videos and learn how to improve. It was just, I ate a lot of shit. Right. And you, had a, you totally invented it yourself. You went to Mammoth and watched those guys tuck, but like that had nothing to do with cornering. Yeah. So coming out here to San Diego and kind of doing those drag racing hills it kind of blew my mind it was like okay cool i can i can be comfortable next to people i can sort of push my limits rather than having to just go straight all the time and then um to kind of touch back on when i saw uh pictures of gary and biker putting their hands down it was like holy crap so i need to learn how to do that and Right around the same time that uh, out here, I ended up meeting and hanging out with Gary Hardwick and Eli Smouse, and uh, that's when all that started rolling. And so around that time is when I started uh, hanging out with the TVS guys. And so TVS was an established brand in 2000, 2001. Yes, and that was Gary Hardwick's company. Gary Hardwick's company and uh, another friend he had named Jamie. Okay. I, I don't know too much about Jamie, so can't speak too much about that. But uh, so, and at that point, what did a TVS board look like? <laughs> at that point, a TVS board was—it was a top mount. It almost looked like a snowboard with wheel cutouts. That kind of iconic TVS shape that yeah. we think of, yeah. yeah. But they hadn't done drop-throughs yet. Hadn't done drop-through. And to your knowledge, was TVS the first commercially available drop-through? To my knowledge, yes. Yeah, I thought so. I don't have anything to disprove that, but we're going to go with that. Okay. Well, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, a couple of those boards I have here, and I'm sure you'll show yeah, yeah. some pictures of them. Um, yeah, they. it was kind of crazy. They, they're kind of a snowboard shape, and then with a shovel nose in the front, not a point shovel, but a shovel. The board's got, what do you call that, rocker? Camber. Camber. Yeah. Um, and it's flexy as hell. And uh. Gary used to love that out here for whatever reason. And so, yeah, I, I went from a dregs board, and I came out here on my 18th birthday. This is before I was on TVS, and Gary sold me one of those boards for... 30 bucks or something. Right. And dude, immediately I set that thing up. And I was riding it, didn't care. Fuck the drugs for <laughs> you know. Um, just just shredding that thing. And I ended up coming out here and doing a third place. Wow. And uh, 
it was Mark Golter got first, Gary got second, I got third. Wow. So this is this had to be around the time when you got that EDI most improved trophy. Um, no, that would have been later. Okay. Yeah. It um, sounds like you probably deserve that's it. That's a build up to it. Okay. Yeah, and so so yeah, that's when Gary put me on the team and then just kind of took off from there with the TVS stuff. So from there, so you got sponsored, you got like you got your first podium. Mm-hmm. And then so where where did you go next? What was your next big event? So next big event after that that was in May. Okay. Um, that was some kind of IGSA national or something. And I got, dude, third. I was so freaking fired up. It's kind of funny. I hope I'm not speaking bad about him, but John Rogers will even tell you. He told me, he was like, dude, I thought my career was over. Because he was like, dude, I was getting passed by an 18-year-old. Right. Like, dude, I thought I should just quit downhilling. Even though he's he's so sick. Right. I mean, he's like, he's dude. contemporary now. God. So, and, and so we were chatting about this a little bit earlier that I was shocked by this when I started figuring out that most of the guys who were like pro at that time, like in this kind of EDI, early IGSA era, were what we would consider to be older now for mm-hmm. being downhill racers. Like right. Rick Clutie was in his late 30s, early 40s. Like yeah. Biker was in his 30s. Everybody was like over 30 and you were by far the youngest like kind of rolling around at that time yeah and jimmy flynn had to be younger right like when you were skating with like jimmy and cludie like he had to be in his 20s yeah uh like you know jimmy flint john dread dane van bommel daryl freeman you know those are all guys that i distinctly remember kind of like looking up to because they were you know about 10 years older than me and Right, and killing it. But yeah. Uh, like John Rogers would have been like coming up on 40 at that point. <laughs> Typically, the, most of the downhillers were a little bit older. Yeah, it was right. a, kind of an older guy's game, I suppose. So that's why you were kind of unique in that way that like you had a, like a dad who was supporting you in this and like bringing you around and making sure you made it out and everybody else was self-sufficient. I mean, yeah, they were kind of doing their own thing. Yeah, that was kind of before... And like I said, you know, it's it's not because it was me. It's just, I guess, the time I was born and circumstances. Yeah. But, yeah, it was it was a different thing to be kind of young then. I mean, now, you know, we all hang out with kids of varying ages. and um, Right, I remember right kind of early on with this stuff that Coop was, like, in his 40s. And he was, he was a little bit drunk, and he, like, said to me, he's like, man, I never thought I'd have a 19-year-old friend. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of normal now. Yeah. Well, and what's crazy is I don't think of myself as as old as I am, you know. Right. It's it's kind of a crazy thing, but... um, But, yeah, I I get what you're saying. And it was kind of a... a, You know, you kind of see these dudes that had nice cars and they'd roll up and custom leathers and you know and right they had like adult incomes like supporting yeah. their skateboard thing uh-huh. but yeah so yeah these days you know I, I think it's a, a little different but um, pretty cool 
that, dude, still out here at Barrett, it just blows my mind. I know, it's pretty cool that it's a common thread, like, a lot of folks have passed over this ground. Yeah. Like, a lot of important folks. So, yeah, sorry to get off topic. Hey, Where no, no, we? it's all good, man. I don't <laughs> I don't care at all. I want to hear about anything and everything, so. Yeah. Well, two, so, two th so, this has got to be 2001, 2002. You're on TVS, and, kay. like, you're going to more races. Like, you're, you're, so you're 18 at this point. Yes. Are you starting to go by yourself, or are you still getting popsicle pulling you around <laughs> no um i remember going to uh seattle uh, red bull 2001 okay so was that prior to skid road that was skid road okay so, so skid road because there was a seattle race before that right correct okay and it was two years going okay and it was basically chris chaffett versus the dregs team all right yeah so, um, yeah. So I at that point, who was Chris Chappett? At that point, so from what I know about Chris Chappett, what I knew about him at that point was absolutely nothing. Like, I remember going to my first race and then seeing this dude just roll up in a, he's, he's like one of the first people I ever saw wearing Uggs. Okay. And that's not, that's not a bad thing. I, Chris, I love you. Rick Lee was listening to this. But um, <laughs> it was just kind of like, dude, what, what the And, it, you know, he, it was obvious he knew other people there. And, you know, he's a, he's a boisterous person. He's, yeah. He likes to engage in conversation. <laughs> he's a friendly fellow. If fella. that's not the understatement of the century. Well, I, all I'm saying is, <laughs> He seemed like he should have been there. And I, I think he, uh, no, Mark, Mark won the event. Chris got second. Okay. And I think DT got third. Wow. Um, All right. Anyway, yeah, I got some pictures of that. Too. So how'd you get up to that race? Oh, that was Mammoth. A skid Road, how did you get up there? Oh, Skid Road, I'm sorry. Um, I flew from Ontario. So is that the first race you flew to? Yes. Cool. And, and even though I paid for it, my mom dropped me off at the airport, uh, still living in Ridgecrest. That was the first time I'd ever, that was the first time I'd ever been on an airplane. Whoa. Yeah. Awesome. And, you know, so this is before, way before, like, September 11th, you know. Right. Um, well, I shouldn't say way before. It was actually not like, too far Like before. very shortly before? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, so you could actually like, my mom walked me to the gate and I like right. walked down to the tarmac and I'm like, see you later, bye. Right, she's like looking at you out the window, yeah. <laughs> she's like, oh, my son's going his first downhill race by himself and his first, you know. And I remember coming home and she picked me up and uh, she walked to the gate like, I was like, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah. Um, Seattle was nuts. Um, it's like, those events were kind of a production. Like, there was money yeah. around. And I'm, I'm trying to think in the lineup. So, let's see. We're going from Barrett to, okay, yeah, Seattle. Yeah, so got there. And, yeah, um, all the invited skateboarders 
got a hotel room. Cool. And um, I remember, rest in peace, Tom Mason, he called me, Tom Mason, the street luge guy. Yeah. World record holder, just all around badass. Um, I remember coming home to a, it was actually coming home from Pikes Peak, Colorado, to a voicemail from him saying, you're invited to the Red Bull Seattle race. And cool, so like, you got a phone call. You didn't have to get a notice in the mail like Clutie? No. Okay. I got a phone call. I got it left on my voicemail. That's awesome. Well, voicemail, message like On machine. an answering machine. Yeah. Yeah. I remember listening to it like 40 times. Just like, make sure it was real. Well, when I was in high school, I remember, um, just because my parents are so rad, my mom, or, my mom or my dad made sure that they bought me a Tom Mason t-shirt that said, lose or die, and it was like, it was his brand, and you know. So like, where the hell would they have gotten that? It was like through a link through a street luge website that I would always go to and like check stuff out. I was, I was majorly into luging. Right. Yeah. So they're like, Danny likes this. We're gonna make sure we hook him up. That's so yeah, awesome. I had like a Tom Mason shirt, dude, and and he called you and invited you yeah. to Skid Road. And yeah, uh, my parents were like, Yeah, right on. You know, so a lot of cool stuff that went down. So. Seattle was sick. Um, that was the first time I'd ever been in a bar. I was 19, and because I had an ID. You had a badge. They were like, you had a racer badge. They're like, of course, they all these other guys in. are like 40, yeah. so let them in. Yeah. And dude, I was like, dude, this is so cool, man. Oh my God, cool. You know, I didn't drink at the time, and it, it, was, it, was, it was a blast. But yeah, did terrible at the race. Oh. Um, <laughs> so. Um, I think they did two and four man. Mm -hmm. uh, four man, I ended up, <laughs> you know, at the time I was like, no, it wasn't my fault. Full blown. I did one of those where you reach down and you grab your board, both rails, and you take your back foot off. Yeah. And you put your foot down. Yeah. And you put it back on your board and try and do the turn. That's how I thought you did turns because... That's how you invented foot braking. I saw Dane Van Bommel do it on the Gravity Games on TV, and I thought I'd adopt that style. Yeah, including and I that tried way too, it. Right? I tried it Mongo, and I tried it back foot. They both suck. <laughs> um, seriously. Yep. Um, anyway, so I tried to go. I, I forget which foot it was this time. Took whichever foot off, and my board just went whoop, 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 whoop. It took this dude out. His name was Aaron Pass. He's one of Lee Danzi's uh, homies. He was like 16. Oh. Um, I had met him at Mary Hill, and he's like, "Hey, what's up, man?" I said, "Hey, how's it going?" It's like, "So, uh, how old are you?" It's like, uh, 18. He's like, "Yeah, I'm the youngest downhill skateboarder now." And I was like, oh, all cool. right. Okay. Enjoy. Right on, dude. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, just did shitty in Seattle. <laughs> it was awful. Oh. And then um, had a good time. Lee Danzi picked me up from the airport and got to hang out at his house. He showed me all his cool medals and all that. And Wow. Yeah. That must have been a trip. Be like 18, like... You get a free hotel room. 
you're like bombing around with the, like the cool kids, like the heroes from just like a couple years before. Well, and what's crazy is, I can't state it enough, is how much like I idolize these guys. When I, yeah. When I got into downhill, I was like, dude, biker, limo, you know, George Orton, these guys had posters up. They were larger than life. Dude, just, I, I just thought, I, I was like kind of obsessed by like an aero helmet and leathers and like the form of a downhill like skateboarder. And I know that sounds crazy, but it was just. It doesn't sound that crazy to me. It was just, <laughs> dude, it looks so cool and it looks so awesome that I just wanted everything about it. And, and so, aero helmets were like, aero helmets were hot at that point. Dude, there were only maybe, at that point, realistically, maybe 50 of them in the world. And but like by volume of downhill skateboarders, that's a pretty that good ratio. Would have been downhill skateboarding right. helmets. And maybe. it was like, so there were, so the Doc Go Fast were out then. Like those were mid 90s. Yeah. And Clued, do you know how many were made? I don't. Clued, seems to think it was 18. The number, I've also heard 14. But I don't know. And then I've seen pictures too, like from that time, Lanningham's were a thing. And in those pictures you have from Mammoth, there were definitely some bad angle aero helmets. But like that was kind of it. But like I've always thought aero, I mean, obviously, like obviously, I think aero helmets are cool as shit. But they've created a silhouette of a downhill racer that is totally different from any other sport. Yeah. Like you don't look like a motorcycle, you don't look like a skier, like you look only like a downhill racer. Well, and albeit it might be dorky, but. Oh, definitely. Dude, it looks sick. A streamline, I, I don't know. I, I right, it looks it fast. Just, it looks badass. Yeah, and I think that's the same reason we like, you know, action sports like hockey and, you know, you see our football players, someone cutting quick, like, you see that, I, I don't know. Right, they have like <laughs> cool gear, or like, yeah, yeah. it's, it's yeah. fun. But anyway, so she came home from Seattle. What next? So Mary Hill, Mary Hill was in between um, Donner and Pikes Peak. There, so there were a lot of EDI races back then. Yeah. Which is yeah, pretty awesome. I'm just starting to like kind of. So, yeah, and this is not even talking about. We were talking about AG, GSA stuff happening out here, but. Um, Yes, Donner, so yeah, I took first in Donner, and then Mary Hill was the stop in between there. That's where Backbaker came from. Okay, so this is something that I've used, like anytime I'm giving something away, especially at Mary Hill, it's like I usually try <laughs> to do it for a trivia question, Yeah. and that one that I always pick is who broke their back on Backbreaker Corner, and I'm sorry, but nobody, nobody knows. Good. These days. So well, who was it? It was me. <laughs> I broke my back. And you just you just like went off and flipped into the ditch? So I was like real into myself back in the day. <laughs> yeah. So coming hot off a, a win at Donner. I was just all fired up. And went to Mary Hill and it's got curves. You know, yeah. it's uh, something that I hadn't really quite skated or done well at, even tried. And then 
you know what, screw it, I don't need to take a chill run. I just kind of bombed it. And I remember coming around that turn and I just, I wasn't even looking where I needed to be going. I was kind of looking somewhere else and I went off the road. I remember taking a couple steps and I was in the air. And I remember my head dipping down so I lifted my feet up and I landed on my butt. Ugh. And I heard a big crunch. So, um, remember just not being able to breathe? Like it felt like the wind got knocked out of me, big mm -hmm. time. Couldn't breathe, couldn't breathe. Oh, oh my God. And then a uh, street luge guy, because back in the day in EDI, uh, street luge guys would do the corners for the downhill guys on the downhill day and then they'd switch. Oh, okay, there were like no <laughs> staff. Of, wow, so <laughs> You'd get a discount on your, your entry fee oh, okay. if you worked the if course. You, nice. And uh, so this guy comes running down and I'm still trying to like take a breath. Uh, uh, and he grabs me, you're right brother. And I'm like, no I didn't. So he takes me up the hill and the ambulance is there. They were like, hey, uh, can you guys make it? Uh, you, you guys all right? Okay, cool, all right. So I remember getting lifted into there, into the ambulance, and I'm like, still couldn't take a breath. And Dang. Oh, no, you're just holding the cable. Okay, yeah. yeah. At some point, um, they were like, we have to take you to the hospital. And I was like, nope. Huh. So I signed a waiver, didn't go to the hospital, um, hung out. For the rest of that day, stayed at the Ponderosa. <laughs> oh. Of all the places. There were no other skateboarders there at that time. Oh. It was crazy. It was me, Eli Smouse, and his dad. And, uh, and went back to the hill the next day, hung out, hobbled around, just hurting and... Um, in sorts, man, it was effed up. And so we got a ride to Eli's cousins. We stayed there that night. I remember Mark Golter was with us and I woke up the next morning and tried to get up to go to the bathroom. He's like, oh man, it looks like your back's hurting. And I was like, yeah, it's hurt, it hurts. Flew home from Portland, um, had an MRI like a week later doctor was like, you have four broken vertebrae. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I was like, dude, hold on. I didn't say that. Like 18 in my head. I'm like, oh my God. But for real, I was like, what? My mom said, what, what do you mean? So he said, okay, well, uh, I think it was T9, 10, 11, and 12. Um, nine was fractured, 10 and 11 were broken clean, and then uh, 12 fractured. Damn. So, doctor is like, we can uh, do surgery or we can kind of see what happens. 18, strong. Right. It's like, oh, I'm good. See what happens. <laughs> yeah. How's your back now? Oh, well, between my back and my shoulders, awful. Oh, all right, well. Uh, so, so anyway, um, yeah, 
two weeks later, went and raced Pikes Peak oh, as an amateur. man. And smoked the amateur round and got, I think, number eight uh, overall qualifying. So maybe it wasn't as bad as they said, but it, it probably it broke was. my back. <laughs> For real. But so there, so in EDI there was amateur and pro. Yeah. And what did it take to move from one to the other? So right before I got into racing um, the EDI, you know, I raced some IGSA races out here at Barrett, and they were a ton of fun. Um, right before I was able to start into EDI, that's when I think they were gearing up to go to the Gravity Games, so mm -hmm. they wanted to make it as professional as possible. So they implemented rules to where if you're a newcomer, you have to race under the amateur status. And it was either, a, I think it was a cumulative of points or you had to do uh, a podium in three races during the season. Mm -hmm. But back then a season was six races long. Right. You know? And three of them were in Europe. Oh, man. So this is how, like, I, I haven't really gotten the story on, like, how Rob McKendry kind of never managed to get to be pro. Yeah. And that was because of that, that, like, if you didn't podium with those three races in North America, you were skunked. Well, you just stayed amateur forever. And I didn't, to be honest. But there was a rule. I, I did the loophole. There was a rule that you could petition and write into them and ask them to become pro for the next year which I did mm -hmm. and they were like we will happily oblige and you know I had to like literally say hi my name's Danny Connor I've been racing for this many years I've been you know you had, had to these like, results uh, I ride with the likes of the Rogers brothers and Brent DeKaiser and Eric Lee and Eli Smouse and sometimes the dregs team you know <laughs> you had to kind of sell it right and and then i got a letter back that said you achieve pro status thank you for your letter because of your recent placings first in amateur at donner first at pikes peak and your other accolades you're into the pro class okay so it was like all right 2002 it's on sick yeah so so, so where did you make your pro debut pro racing yeah here okay here at barrett no jokes sick. that's crazy i didn't think about that turn pro at barrett yeah that was the first and so Around this time, um, I met up with Eli Smouse, and he and I became really good friends. And so, and who was he in the sport at that time? Because that's a name I've heard lots, but I don't know anything about him. Eli Smouse, um, Northern California downhill skateboarder. Yeah. And he was good friends with Jonathan from Comet. Okay, yep, yep, yep. Uh, like way back. Back when Comet's... Common boards were made out of fiberglass and were all yes. like technology and not green. Yeah. And so Eli and Dave, Eli Smouse and Dave Bryant were the, as far as I know, uh, I mean, I could be wrong, but as far as I know, they were the first two dudes that kind of 
came to Comet and said, hey, we want to make downhill skateboarding. Like, shape boards, we want, you know, downhill boards. Right. So, I guess they were given pro models, and um, Eli's just a few years older than me, so when he and I met up here at Barrett, it was kind of like, we were two sort of younger guys. He kind of bridged the gap in between the older fellas, and I was sort of younger. Mm -hmm. And so we just kind of hit it off. And he ended up moving down to San Diego, and I'd come down here often to skate Barrett. I, I used to come out here just on the weekend and camp. Sick. Skate the hill and meet up with Rick Clutie or Frank or whoever. And, you know... Um, Sometimes Eli would come out here, but we ended up getting like matching leathers because we skated together so often. And so, and that's when we were both on Team TVS also. That's when it kind of was phasing out at the same time. So TVS was kind of done in 2002? Um, yeah, uh, yeah, right around 2002. Um, is when Gary and Mark Golter they both got to the Gravity Games and that was kind of when Team TVS you know everyone was still cool you know it was Rick Clutie and DT, Jimmy Flint Reed Lowry and um, Mark Golter Gary and uh, I think Gary was going through some hard times in his life yeah. And so it's kind of when TVS started, started, no one was really sure what was going on. You know, we were all kind of still riding boards and whatever, and um, just kind of hoping to hear from Gary. And uh, But then um, Gary passed away. So that's when it was kind of like, okay. okay. Well, I, didn't really, I didn't know when that was. Yeah. It was, um, it was kind of crazy because it was right around well 2002 is when I was in the gravity games and that was you know one of the sickest things ever yeah unbelievable like yeah such the like the real deal yeah so and, and so you qualified for the gravity games through like racing EDI pro status yeah and sorry I, we points. keep getting off no no this <laughs> is different because this we were talking about how to get from am to pro yes so but to get to the gravity games was like a whole other political it was, it was kind of the same thing. Okay. Uh, you had to you had to work your way up through pro or podium at an event during the season. Okay. Um, if you were already pre-qualified from placing first through sixth or whatever, which basically meant they already put all their boys. The race team was always pre-qualified. Yeah, and so to be totally honest, I didn't race like the top dudes at Mary Hill. I mean, I had to race Eli, and I had to race Mark Golter. So the drag team like didn't even have to show up to a bunch of the races because they were already pre-qualified for the gravity games. Uh, well, a couple of them had to here mm -hmm. at Barrett. Um, I believe John Dredd qualified here. Um, and then, yeah, I think it was Mary Hill after this one. And then, uh, yeah, so they, they just kind of were not sandbagging. And I didn't, they were never in my heats. It was just kind of funny. 
because it was just kind of like, oh, I'm racing Mark again, huh? Right. You know? It seems like this is a story, <laughs> like a thread that I've been finding, though, is that, like, somehow the bracket always worked out the same way that the dregs guys got to the end and you didn't race them. Like, the, the qualifying was maybe a little bit shady because they didn't show the times. They just put the order out, like, just put out the bracket. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. Interesting, though. So you qualified for the Gravity Games, and you went there. Yes. Uh, but so was was that before or after Gary passed away? Um, the the Gravity Games was before. Okay. Um, yeah. I, we, we can touch back on that later. But, yeah. yeah, going back to the Gravity Games. Yeah, so Mary Hill, it, and that was kind of crazy, too. Because um, I I think Mark Golter was already pre-qualified at that at that point, but I think he was really chasing like the points, mm -hmm. you know. And I remember we were all standing at the top of the hill, and like they're going, "All right, let's go," you know, "Come on, riders!" And we're just standing there, and we're in our helmets and our leathers. Dude, what's going on? And Mark was just like changing his wheels or whatever, and and then he jumped the start, and then like he was trying to yell at everybody, and it was dude, it was crazy. And then he and John Rogers almost got into it, like at the U-Haul at the bottom, and you know all this over like just qualifying for the Gravity Games and points, and it, like it was just kind of like oh my god, but yeah, I. I remember uh, it it was just weird, and yeah, so like you were saying, they just kind of, they're like, oh yeah, uh, here, you're in this heat, you're in this heat, and before I knew it, it was like, all right, come on, and then, you know, so, I mean, at the same time, I still had to race the shit out of Eli and, and Eric right. and Mark. <laughs> but you just, you just seemed like and you raced them an awful lot. Yeah, and John Rogers was there too, and Billy Quinn. Yeah, right. So that was fun. So how'd you do in the Gravity Games? Oh man, the Gravity Games was crazy. I just want to explain that, by the way. I think uh, was that you that was. We were talking about the breakdown of. Right. So we were looking at Dan. Yeah. You'll see pictures of this. So Danny has this athlete handbook from the 2002 Gravity Games that like has in it like rules and format for like all the different sports like hand-drawn renderings of like all the ramps and stuff and there's a like a hand-drawn map of the downhill race course like they couldn't get a satellite map because it was 2002 and uh, we were looking at the page that was like the breakdown of the prize money and the prize purse for like two man stand up is thirty three thousand dollars, and four man stand up is thirty four thousand dollars in two thousand two. So it's like fifty grand now. Yeah. So I understand why like maybe somebody like Mark Goldster would be really concerned about whether or not he was going to qualify for that race. He was already in. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I so mean, if the prize money is fifty grand per class, like, what was that event like to be in? You know, it was. To be honest, it was really weird. And and I'm sorry if it seems like I'm degrading the EDI or anything they ever did. Um, 
you know, there were, there were some funny things, but to be honest, every event they ever did, I had a lot of fun at. Okay. And I, if that's me just being ignorant and putting my head down and just doing whatever, it's not like I was a puppet right at their game. I mean, um, anyway, I just want to say it was a, every one of them was fun. And Biker was totally rad. Grace and, you know, Jody and Jarrett, uh, all of them were cool. But, um, but yeah, what the Gravity Games was like, it, it was crazy. Um, you know, I was so naive and I was so just into the razzle-dazzle of the whole thing that it didn't really matter to me. Uh, having to fly into somewhere and then get a rental car and then drive like hours and hours to some, you know, that seems normal to us now. Right, but I did it this weekend. Yeah, <laughs> but back then it was like, what, you know, where are we going? How, you know, what makes this hill so great? How come, okay, well, we'll see when we get there. So in what town was that Gravity Games? So I'm kind of torn. I, I can't remember if it was Salamanca or Albany. I okay. think they're, they're like cities or counties. I'm sorry for... But it's upstate New York. Very upstate New yeah. York. And the hill was not that good. <laughs> they, they made a turn out of hay into the first turn, you know. Um, it was... I think it was around 48, 49 miles an hour. All right, that's at least like pretty fast. It wasn't like 37. But, I mean, this was after the Gravity Games had already been on TV, and it actually had a pretty sick production with... I know, those that footage was really good with like zipline cameras and booms and like... Going through turns and dudes just hanging their butt out and mm -hmm. just fully surfing frontside, you know through like turns at 45 miles an hour that looks rad but and they, they filmed it well it made it look yeah. really fast it looked, it looked sick and you know the the kind of build up of the athletes but um that year was just i mean there's footage of dane van bommel and daryl freeman on tv not wanting to out push each other and flipping each other off oh wow because they wanted to draft bait each other because the hill was so just, track. yeah, and it, there was one section that kind of bottlenecked, and then it widened back out, and just. So, would that have been the phenomenon uh, that Dave Rogers was talking about earlier today, that he called biker cones? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, what, what, would, what were biker cones? Um, my favorite thing that I heard him say, and then I heard. Uh, another race organizer say it was we're gonna add dimension to the hill. Oh, that's dimension? that's diplomatic. Wow, <laughs> didn't know hills needed dimension. So, yeah. So I, what did that mean? So why why did it bottleneck? And that was added intentionally. It wasn't like the road got really narrow. They like they made it that way. Um, because biker had a tendency to like uh, contact. Okay, I think, and he's he wasn't gonna eat shit. Okay, so. <laughs> and he had a really good push, right? So he had a good chance of being there first. Yeah. So if it bottlenecked there, maybe somebody who was gonna pass him would have to slow down and not pass him, and then he could win. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that happened there. And so it's like a Terminator head at the top, then uh, like a bottle, a dimensional modification in the middle, and then what at the bottom? And then it just wide, it, it got wide. And I'm sure you guys can look this stuff up on YouTube, but um, it got wide, and then it, it was just a big sweeping left. And even though the video doesn't necessarily show it, you might see the guys hit the transition from really smooth pavement to, it was kind of some kind of, concrete that had been treated to weep water away or okay, something. Yeah. So as soon as you went over it, your wheels started sounding like It was like grooved. Yeah, yeah. it was crazy. So, um, yeah, I, it was me, Biker, Todd Lair, and Alex Wink uh, going in that heat. This would have been the consolation round okay. of the foreman. And now that we're talking about biker's bottleneck, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we went around the first turn, and both Todd and Alex kind of got into traditional tucks, which they normally didn't. And I didn't necessarily know what to do. And I just remember the course started bottlenecking, and I was behind biker, and. I had more speed than he did. So I started kind of trying to go around him, but I think he knew that I was going around him on the left. So he pinched me over before I could to the bottleneck. Yeah. And I remember having to put my hand on his butt and push him in front of me. And then by the time I was able to swoop my board over behind him, my right hand hit the hay. So it's like, you know, within seconds. Yeah or millimeters of seconds, however many that is. Um, and then we got to the bottom of the hill and he hit that crazy stuff. He wobbled so hard his back foot came off his board and he almost took me out. <laughs> and we got to the bottom and he looked at me and he went, bro, I almost took you out. And I was <laughs> like, I know, dude. I was there too, thanks yeah. though. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I. It's kind of funny how he had a tendency to do that, but, you know, he's a badass. Right. Well, it's like, we, I, Biker comes up a lot, because this is the era that we've been talking about, and mm -hmm. I think that, you know, we can be honest about everything about Biker without being disrespectful. Sure. You know, absolutely, he was unquestionably a hell of a skater, and, you know, marketing visionary, event organizer, whatever. But like we don't, we can be honest about the fact that he was maybe a little shady, but that it doesn't have to take away from his other stuff. No, you know it was all it was all there. It was all real, rad dude. So yeah, at that point, let's see, Gravity Games, uh, Red Bull Seattle. It was just, dude, it was all kind of taken off, and um. So after TDS, after Gary had passed away. Um, Eric Lee, a downhill skateboarder, he somehow had made friends with these guys that started a company called Afro Man, and they okay. were out of Hollywood. All right. So they made like uh, <laughs> they made some cool boards, and it was all through kind of the uh, the theme of like afros and disco, and okay. you know, they had a cool board called like the Nunchucka or something. 
it was like a 36. It was pretty wide and uh, a park board. They had a pintail and, and then Eric Lee got a pro model speedboard through them. So what he did, what he told everybody was he basically traced the dregs board, he made it wider, and then he flipped it around. So it wasn't the point in the front, the point was in the back. Ah. And then he just kind of made it wider. Um, so he was always looking out for me and he's like, you know, you're 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 fast and you keep wanting to skate and so he made sure that I got a few boards here and there and they were cool they hooked me up with boards I think they gave me a little bit of money to go to the gravity games but um, right after that was when I started working for Latitude 35 in Ridgecrest what is that it was a skate shop okay cool and um, first skate shop in Ridgecrest eh, it was called DNS which was Darren and Scott and then uh, Darren ended up taking over. He called it Latitude 35. Okay. And so I just kind of, I'd go in there to ask them if they could get Randall's because I could barely get a hold of actual Randall <laughs> at that point. And um, he was like, yeah, dude. And, uh, we got to talking and he gave me a job. Ended up working at Latitude 35 and before I knew it, I was gripping boards when kids would get off from school and, you know, I, I had marginal skate park experience, um, nothing crazy, but uh was hanging out there at the skate shop and we got an account with Sector 9 and <laughs> the owner of the skate shop was like, hey, uh, I got this guy, Danny, that's, you know, he's racing downhill. I didn't tell him to say anything. Yeah. He was told... Sector 9 this, and he was talking to Rob Moult. Yeah, I figured it had to be Rob dude, Moult. Dude, and Rob Moult was like, oh, cool. Yeah, dude, fuck yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll send him aboard. And so they sent me like a 36 Victor. And Epic. Dude, I ended up giving it to Justin Cludie. So cool. I don't have that board. I have the second board Sector ever gave me. It's here, but, um, but yeah, they sent me that board, and dude, it just took off. All right, so Gravity Games, what made it insane? Like, because like I said, if it was the prize money was 50K, like, what was that event production like? So, yeah, um, going to something like the Gravity Games was nuts because at the time, you know, having skateboarders come from around the world to meet at one place for a quote-unquote championship was just, you know, there, there were really no other organizations doing it. So, first of all, that was crazy. And then showing up and having them hand out, like we were talking about the, the handbook and, you know, here's a pair of jeans from Buddy Lee. And that was... Right, you got all the same swag as all the other athletes. Yeah, we got a bunch of cool stuff. You know, water bottles and, you know, it was, it was crazy. And then getting to the hill was like seeing these jumbotrons and um, having cameras follow us around. It, like like getting B-roll, like just when you were walking around. Yeah. And so, you know, that's 2001. 
that's kind of when reality TV is really sort of right getting popular and um, these guys are following us and it was kind of like you turn around and they're there and so that was kind of crazy but just seeing the amount of production that was in there seeing companies that are paid to set up barriers and have jumbotrons and you know some dude in like a nice collared shirt and work boots and work shorts going okay you do that and you know seeing these guys just just do something that I'd never seen before it was like wow this is on a massive scale like, right and important. like it didn't feel like a skateboard event at all no it, it felt like holy crap we're we're like world-class athletes like this is cool you know it it almost sort of made you want to embrace that sort of feeling and just sort of own it and be like, hell yeah, I'm at the Gravity Games. This is sick. Right. You know? But um, kind of looking back, it was like, holy crap, <laughs> they did a lot of this for, you know? For what it was. For what it was. It, wow. I mean, at least like when I look at footage from the Gravity Games... Like, at least everybody's gear was tight. Like, everybody, yes. like, had their color scheme, like, helmet pan to match. Everything was, per like, it looked like they were serious. Well, and what was crazy is I remember um, it wasn't, eh, don't quote me on this, or I guess this is going to go out, but I remember having to um, kind of sign something that said we'd, present ourselves in a like a fashionable sense right and that was in the handbook there was like a, a conduct section like about how you were supposed to act as a athlete in the gravity games yeah yeah and which is crazy because they let alex wink come in there and dude had like spray painted gray leathers oh and, uh, an arrow helmet that he made himself and you know? Oh, I remember that because he so he rode for land yachts, right? I really early so. on, yeah. and he had like that. Hel the picture I've seen of him, uh, he was in blue and yellow leathers, I think. But he that helmet was like blue and looked very homemade, like it was not. Well, the guy I remember is in like full blown spray painted silver, like warriors come out and play. Oh wow! <laughs> and his helmet was like a burgundy with dude and it was pretty rough looking and so you know i if that's the genius of biker i think it maybe he was trying to pin you know but he was good he was fast right so um you know it, so but they yeah. let him in that wasn't a problem yeah and he's from europe so right. they've got international uh so it can be a world championship it, international showing but <laughs> Um, but yeah, you know, he did rad and he, I believe he went on to the finals. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was him, Mark Golter, Daryl, Daryl Freeman and Dane Van Ballo. Wow. And who won? Daryl Freeman. Cool. Yeah. And then, so you said earlier, like Daryl Freeman threw a huge party at the hotel. He basically was like, yeah, well, everyone can stay. <laughs> yeah. Well, because he won. How much did he get for first place? Uh, I think he got like twelve grand or something. That's wild. Don't but, quote me, Daryl. But but that's a lot. Like, 
but yeah, that's you know what, dude. If anyone deserves it, Daryl Freeman deserves it. Yeah, that's for damn sure. But yeah. So where did it go from there? Two thousand two is like starting to be EDI's winding down, right? Like uh, how much longer did the did it, did the Gravity Games happen again? No, that was it. That was it. Uh, such a shame. So, so yeah. close. So that's when I got aboard from Sector Nine, and then. Um, so I had a very similar Rob Moult experience. Yeah. That how, when I was how that one. Go? I, when I was I started pouring my wheels right in two thousand seven. And the, like, guy who I knew at my local skate shop, Sam from Meta Skateboards, he was talking to Rob Moult and told him about me, that, like, I was racing downhill and, like, pouring wheels and, like, messing around. Uh. And Rob was like, oh, yeah, man, we'll throw him a couple sets yeah. of wheels. Right. And because the downhill, uh, what am I talking about? The, the yellow ones had just come out. What were they called? The race formula. Race formula. Yeah, I can't remember that. Race Formula had just come out, the 69 millimeter with the, like, floppy lip. <laughs> and they sent me a couple yeah. sets. And they sent me a couple sets of free ride ones, too, when they came out. And I rode those a lot. But then the first time I met Rob Moult, I'd only ever talked to him on the phone. I had no idea what he looked like. <laughs> and the first time I met him was I went to the very last ASR with Mercado. Oh, boy. I was 17. And uh, I met Rob Moult, like, in the Sector 9 booth, which, like, was blowing my mind. Like, yeah. ASR was so crazy, like, business pro. But Rob Moult had, like, a black eye and, like, blood halfway across his eye from getting in a bar fight the night before. Yeah. And he looked like a caricature of what I'd heard on the phone. <laughs> but he really did not disappoint me in person. No, dude. Rob's awesome. So so you got so you got a board from Sector, and you knew Rob, but you, yes. like, how did that develop? So, I, I mean, I knew who Rob was just through the speedboard. And he was, was he a racer? He, yes, he, actually, um, Dennis, that was a co-owner of Sector 9, he, um, he was a downhill racer as right. well. Um, Rob raced in EDI, um, and I'm, I do have a picture of it somewhere, uh, might be on my phone, actually, um, my first practice heat of my first race ever, Rob Maltz in it. Cool. So is Eli Smouse. So is Biker, Todd Lair, Casey Kindred. I remember all of them. And so it's kind of crazy. Uh, so, yes, Rob made sure I got a skateboard. And it was, like I said, a, a 36. Gave it to Justin. Um... And then Sector 9 sent me that other board. And I I was like, hey, guys, there's this race. It's Barrett. And I was trying to get them all fired up on downhill. And Rob was like, oh, well, you're going to have to talk to a guy named EG. And um, that's the only way you're going to get on the team. And uh, I'm not sure what we're doing with downhill. So I was like, all right, cool, whatever. And I remember just I just went there. To Sector 9. Yeah. It was on the way to Barrett. Well, what happened was, <laughs> actually, I'm sorry, got to rewind. I went to an ASR. Okay. And I went to the Sector 9 booth. They were all drunk as shit. So like, how'd, you get into, how'd you get into ASR? Because um, ASR, was, you had to have a badge. Like I was you, a buyer for Latitude 35. There you go. Perfect. Shop. Yeah. So, yeah. Great. So, went in there. I kind of met them. 
Rob had sent me a board at that time, but I didn't know anyone. I went in, I said hi to Rob. EG was like, they had like, dude, this would never fly these days, but they had a full-blown like Asian theme. They were oh, dressed God. in like... Uh, like kimonos, kimonos, and like massage therapy sort of thing. All their stuff was bamboo before they started making boards with bamboo. And I remember I bought a um, a thirty six by eight point five board because I was like, dude, like a double kick. Yeah, yeah, because it was the first one I saw, and I still have that board. Um, so anyway. So you met EG, he was in the booth, and they are all pissed tanked at the trade show. Yes. Which was the way almost everyone was at the trade show. Yeah. Yeah. So so then Rob was like, yeah, you know, you're going to have to talk to EG. So I was out here coming to a race and went by Sector 9, and they, the board I have here literally pulled it off, like, a shelf that was just, there were maybe, like, ten boards in the back somewhere speed boards that Victor had made. Yeah. And they handed me a 42. And I was like, yeah, dude, this is cool. You know, I'd like one a little bit longer. And they're like, okay, one thing at a time. So I came out here to Barrett. It was a weekend that we were just coming out here to have fun. Right. And just just skate. And uh, had had a good time. And then didn't hear from him. And then that was right around the time to when I went up to uh, to Sully for the first time. Cool. So 2003? Yeah. Whoa. So that's when I called EG, and I was like, hey, dude, I've been bombing the hell out of this board. I'm doing good. Went out to Barrett, you know, had fun. I was bombing, like, hills with Rick up and around here. Yeah. I was like, you know what? Um can you give me a few hundred bucks to go up skate in uh, Canada? And he's like, yeah, all right. So this would have been Sullivan Challenge number three? Something like that? Uh, it was in, let's see, 2003, yeah. So Danger Bay is, what, one year off of the date. So like Dan- this year will be Danger Bay 19. Sully started the same year. So yeah, Sully number three. Yeah, so my first Danger Bay race was the next year, which would have been Danger Bay 3. So okay. you're correct. Yeah. Um, so, so it was Sully number 2. Because they're the same year. Oh, okay. Sully just is in July, so that's why Danger Bay can claim it's been going on longer. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was like the first time I'd ever gone out of the country or done anything weird. And a friend of mine... Um, he relocated to Nanaimo, British Columbia. Uh-huh. So, um, he's from Ridgecrest, but born in Canada, so he got to kind of pick. Yep. He went up there. Okay, choice. Nanaimo's <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. So, went up there, spent a week in Nanaimo, and first time I'd ever been to Canada, and he, um... He was like, oh, yeah, dude, uh, my grandma's got this car. We're going to just take a bus to Vernon. His grandma lived in Vernon. This is way before me show. Dude, that would have been a bus, a long bus trip. So we took that bus trip and um, got to his grandma's place, hung out there for a while. And she was like, 
I don't know what car you're talking about. Dude, this thing was under a barn. Just... And the guy knew nothing about cars. Oh, man. So he just like, knew it existed. So, yeah. Basically, I had to get that car kind of like up to where it could get going. A few spark plugs later and just kind of like banging on the starter. Uh, we got this shitty car going and went to... Uh, to fucking kimberly bc man <laughs> so Jody's at that race. point how so how'd you find out about the sully all through ncdsa okay well, and you at, knew about jody yeah from seattle okay so he was there yeah all right so see so red bull was in, invited correct because you got that voicemail so jody was invited correct so was he racing other edi races he didn't race he just came. Oh, he was just at Seattle. There's a, a striker was there too, right? Yeah, I have a picture of him, um, Chris Chappett, Rob LeBlanc, um, let's see, uh, Fast Freddy, uh, Whoa. and striker. Damn, and heavy contingent. And that was the Canadian table. So I've got, um, I've got Rob LeBlanc's landing ham. Oh, I've got pictures of him in the landing ham. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I've got that one on the shelf. But anyway, so yeah, that's when that was going down. So the Canadian contingent showed up, but were not invited to race. Like, they were just fans. Well, and then, uh, I I think, I don't think they were invited, but I think they were allowed to race. Oh, okay. Because I remember Stryker just going into the hay bales every right. single oh, What about um, Tom Edstrand? Uh, to be honest... Like, they were just kind of so quiet and so <laughs> calculating yep. that there there weren't so many, like, ripples in the water. Okay. And so it wasn't that anyone disregarded them. It was more like, oh, well, fuck, those guys made it around the turn. Right. Oh. I know that even at that point, like, in at 2002, Jody was taking his Randalls and punching the axle out and making his own 10 mil axles and putting them in. He was yeah. like, he was the only person in the world riding straight trucks. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I mean, if I'm going to fucking make a truck, then... <laughs> well, yes. fuck you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, fuck, these, every fucking one of them is, uh, it's not straight, so, you know. Oh, uh, my God, yep. <laughs> and he used to do stuff like, he didn't know if 10 mil was allowed so he would mill down the end of the axle so that on the outside it was a six, uh, regular 8 mil axle. So if you looked at his wheel, you saw a regular size bearing and a regular size nut, so nobody would know. Like that I, kind of stuff. If he didn't have the product to prove it, I would think he was a tweaker. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Full blown. Especially, you know, have you seen Jody in a while? Uh, no. So he looks a little different. He's put on some weight. He's not like a rake anymore. Like, he got married, he's like, he's doing great, but he, he definitely, at that point, when somebody told me, when I first got into this, like, I, I fucked my car up, not me, actually, that's bullshit, uh, Mark Fry fucked my car up, <laughs> because he had to go to the hospital, because he cut his hand at the Sully party, and he took my car, and he ran over the big rock on the way into the campsite, yeah. you know the one, uh-huh. and, uh, and then he left my car in Cranbrook, and, like, took a cab back. He was like, I don't know, it's all the oil came out. Like, 
it's in Cranbrook. But I was stranded in Kimberly for a week fixing my car when I was 18 and just hanging out with Jody. But the when I found out that Jody was like 34 <laughs> at that time, it hit me hard. <laughs> like it made me think a lot about how my life was going to go after that because I was like, Oh no! You're, you're counting the years. <laughs> yeah. Like oh shit. But I remember, like, so at his house, he had a Slurpee machine on the, on the porch. <laughs> I don't know where he got it. And both sides, it was just like a two-barrel one. Both sides were lime green. And one had booze and one didn't. And I asked him, like, why didn't you make them two different flavors? And he just like didn't. He like shook it off. He was like. Sometimes I want booze in my Slurpee, and sometimes I don't. But I always want lime green. But at that point, like, he lived it. That I was, like, working on my car, but he had a routine every day. Yeah. He, he got up, and he ate breakfast and drank two beers while he watched cartoons. Always. And then he went out onto the porch and smoked a joint. And then he'd come back in and drink another beer and then maybe think about what he was going to do for the day. He ate one meal a day. And it was almost always a burger from the Marysville pub. Which is why he was like 34 and so skinny. But yeah, you, like that's why you think he was a tweaker. Well, no. I, I would think he was a tweaker because of the things Because the way he acts. With. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And oh, yeah, that's not... Oh, that's not a fucking problem. Um, uh <laughs> Okay, uh, yes. yeah, you can do whatever you want, uh, but it's not going to work. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, uh, yeah, I'll run down to the pub. Uh. <laughs> Dude, and so imagine me from Ridgecrest going through all these, you know, not to bring it back around here. But... Oh, please. <laughs> and so we got in this car. Eventually, got it on the road, and we drove from Vernon to Kimberly on this fucking car. By the way, I can just tits up to the Canadian DMV. That's they're a real piece of work there. Because <laughs> you had so you had to go like get this car insured and stuff to get on the road. And this is no sarcasm. They did it within four and a half hours. They were like, oh, yeah, sure. Oh, you need tags for that? Okay, cool. There you go. Oh. And, like, the car hadn't been moved in years. Like, I had to, like, get the... And put... Like, air. every part of it was jammed and dry-rotted. Yeah, and... It's a car that had been underneath a barn for some teen years. Wow. And but you got it, and it made it. Dude. Do you remember what the car was? Oh, man, it, I wish I could. I was trying to get my mental picture. I'm imagining it, was it being like a... a tiny red hatchback. Okay, there you go. That's what I needed to know. And I had my air helmet underneath my um, my right arm. I remember that. And every now and then I'd put it on to take a nap. <laughs> and best helmet. And, dude, the guys I was with, they're not necessarily metalheads, but... We were listening to Black Sabbath, and I'm singing like, you know, Generals gathered in their mess. Just having the the sickest time in my life, and 
just seeing all this stuff and then going to um, finally making it to Kimberly and then there's a guy named Chef Bernard he might be there Jody if you're listening to this he might be there still he dude this guy was just we couldn't find a hotel room oh well first of all it would have been a July Fest so there's no rooms yeah. so we just kind of jammed around and just kind of oh hey what's up man and this guy's like oh what are you guys doing are you looking for a place to hang out or do you want a room and we're like no we need a room man what's going on and he's ah oh, I'll give you a room and he ended up giving us a room and he was just like a wheeler and a dealer like nothing was ever cool and then we'd come downstairs and he wanted us to taste what he was making and okay well I'm gonna charge you 10 bucks for tasting this it's like dude come on but it was so fun at the same time it was just like kind of jokingly and so we were at um Kimberly dude it was awesome right I remember hanging out with uh John and Dave Rogers, we skated some John bike. and Dave Rogers went to the goddamn Sully? Yeah. Did the same year <laughs> so I did. You, so you went and skated the golf course, probably? Uh, I don't think it was a go- It was like a neighborhood. Okay. Maybe the golf course hasn't been built yet. And then, dude, Jody, the entire time, he would just narrate the downhill bo- uh, races we were doing. He'd be like, oh, uh, Danny Connors right there. Right next to John Rogers. Oh, he's going to regret that later. Uh, <laughs> he's like pushing us and like, you know, you're going 15. So when someone just kind of barely pushes you, just kind of. Eh. And Jody's in his like, his, his white helmet then. <coughs> um, yes. Like the one. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, the famous one. Well, and he's on. They had drop decks. Oh yeah. So this is the was this the first time you'd seen decks like that, or did they have them at Seattle? Um, the first time I saw, well, I have pictures of it. Um, first time I saw a drop landouts deck was that one with the the big <coughs> sorry the oh, big no. the big tail on it. Yeah, the urban assault. There you go. That's what uh, that the German guy rode, right? Or, yeah. Yeah, he rode one of those, which has contributed to his aesthetic because it looked ridiculous. So I was I was familiar with boards like that, but like seeing Jody on, he had these boards that were all crazy, and you know, his hangers were only this wide, and they were sticking out. SGS trucks. Yep, dude. And he was he was just pushing us into hay bales and having fun, and so you know it was all good, and then uh. Remember that race, you know, it was like the first time on the sector, and uh, we stayed at Chef Bernard's and had a good, had a good time, and uh, woke up the next day and went to the race and um, ended up getting second, which nice. is crazy. Who won? Chris Chappett. No shit. Yeah. That's... That's that race was the race that uh, the no wiggle rule. Oh uh, yeah, makes came sense. Into play so listeners, if you don't know about the Sullivan Challenge, it's a one push race, and the top mm, quarter mile is very flat. And if you were to be able to pump like slalom pump, it would be very effective. But uh, it's yeah, it's as long as I've known it. I went to the Sully first time in two thousand nine. It's been long since outlawed 
so this is why. Yeah, so Chapit is a slalom guy, so I imagine he took full advantage of that. Oh, so Chapit being the perfect dude to... Everything he does is to kind of find a loophole because he's that smart. You know, right. This and he enjoys not, using that power to I'm, his advantage. I'm not bagging on the guy. He's he he figured it and he won. So he had that one push and then he just went whoop 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 and he wiggled all the way into that first turn. That's a long way, dude. And like. I don't know if you've ever seen Chris Chappett at a slalom event. I have. But the first time I saw him, it scared the fuck out of me. Huh. Like, I thought he was just going to just tip over his board at any given moment because of how hard he pumped. Like, Aggressive, yeah. Not dude, graceful. but just as hard as possible. And so I'm, like, watching everything in front of me just... I'm like, dude, there's okay, cool. I'm I'm good with second. And like so but that was at the time. I don't know if anyone listeners here have seen the time shit video. There's a video of me doing a Mongo foot break for ever into that turn. That was the only way I could make it. Into which turn? The hairpin? The right hairpin? No, into the Oh, the, the alley to the left. Pan. Oh, at the bottom of the alley, you foot break in the alley? No, going into it. Yeah. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> well, Don't do that. Shit. So you like dropped in, like you're, turned, went through that right turn at the top, and then just started foot break. Just went. Mongo. Yeah. You're talking. That's in time ship in, in Tuck? Yeah. Oh, man. I got to watch that again. I was trying, I was ragging on Joe Lamb to get that uploaded to YouTube because it's not available. 2003, though. Yeah. So. That makes sense. Anyway. And that was good enough for second place back then. Yeah. Fucking A. So we just kept racing all day. And he, dude, he just held it. And, but it was, it was so cool because I remember Daryl Freeman was like, dude, make sure you beat him. <laughs> okay, I'll try. Everyone's like, oh, so close. <laughs> you know, I love Chris. He's a cool dude. But. Oh, no, I mean, Chris is like, same as we were saying about Biker. No disrespect to Chappet, but he's exactly who he is. At we don't need time, to mince words about that. No I one's been him as long as he has. He painted a big target on his own back. Right. Deliberately. But, yeah, so after that, like, coming off that second place win, um, dude just came back to California, just kind of squared some things away in Ridgecrest, and then got back to Sector 9 and... It's like, hey guys, you know what's going on? Uh, do you have anything going on with downhill? Um, you down to sponsor anybody? There's races going. They're like, well, uh, yeah, we'll just send you some boards and some shirts. And I remember getting a couple boxes. And then EG called me and he said, hey, do you want to go on a trip? Oh well, yeah. So it was to. New Mexico with Shane Allen, Billy Green, Jeff Boudreaux, um, and Jimmy Rayo. So at the time, you know, these are all like double kick dudes. Right. Longboard guys. But like Italian. Jeff was like a, like at that point he was like skating vert ramps. 
Jeff had no clue about downhill. Yeah. Zero clue. And so I went to Jeff's house. I got dropped off there and I was like, yeah, cool. I'm going on, you know, let's check for a second. It's going to be sick. And I got to go on a trip at Sector 9, and it was uh, it was crazy. So did you, were, did you guys go to an event? Yeah, we went to the All-Around Challenge Sick. in New Mexico. Uh, Sandia All-Around is so legendary. Uh-huh. So do you remember what all, the, what all the events were? As far as I can remember, they were um, downhill, obviously, giant solemn, Tight slalom. And downhill was like a race on Sandia Crest. Correct. Yeah, which is sick. Yeah. So so downhill, but like a real downhill race. Yeah, a, a certain, there was a certain track there. Right. I don't know if it, it was necessarily the hardest part. Well, just but, like Pikes Peak back then. Like it was Yeah. A, an, a part of an epic road. Like, we'll take it. And the year before, um, Dane Van Bommel, John Dredd, uh, all the dregs guys had gone up there. I don't think it was necessarily for an all-around. I think it was just a downhill event. Mm-hmm. And they did really well, and it was in a video. And so, you know, it was kind of like, cool, let's go check this out. And Okay, so it was downhill, giant slalom, tight slalom. Tight slalom, highest ollie. Okay. Um, high jump. Okay. Longest grind. All right. Uh, and on, on longest oh. grind on transition, like longest fifty fifty on a quarter pipe. Uh, yes. Okay. Well, it, no, it had to be in the big bowl. That they okay, had. which is big. Yeah. yeah. It's and it it couldn't be um it had to be a five zero. Oh, it couldn't be a fifty fifty. Correct. Oh wow, that's way harder. Like Jeff and Jesse Parker were doing them all around the. Right, they could just lock in and go all the way around. All around that bold section. Okay, so, so it had to be one track. Everyone was trying in that squared section. Got it. <laughs> I remember, like, just, like, way too many Budweiser's in and just hitting a, a one-inch little chirper. Like, oh, okay. But, yeah, so they they implemented all these, you know. Okay, so wait, what other events? I want to get this all down. Okay. 360 spinning? Yes, that one yes. was in there too. Okay, let's see. That's gnarly. Downhill GS, tight slalom, uh, high ju- highest ollie, mm-hmm. high jump, mm-hmm. longest grind, mm-hmm. 360s. Yeah. Um, that's a lot. I think that's it. That's pretty good. That's pretty all around. So... You so know, that sounds like a good trip for that team to go on. Like, they were pretty well represented. Well, and you got to understand this. At this time, like, and this isn't me trying to brag about my situation. It's just more like there's no other longboard company that's sending dudes to races at that right. time. At all? Know? Well, land yachts. Okay, what about dregs? Is dregs kind of petering out at that point? Well, dregs just... Yeah, they, like they when when sent, the gravity games thing went away. Yeah, it had been two, three years since Dregs had done anything. Okay, and Land Yachts was kind of just gaining momentum at this point. Correct. Okay, so it was like, all right, well, 
so I just kind of went on this trip with, uh, I didn't know Jeff. I didn't know anybody. It's just kind of like, oh, oh my God, here we go. <laughs> okay, uh, I hope they like me. Because uh, <laughs> you know? right. at that point, they're all like looking at me in the back seat like, dude, can you kickflip? Right, because they're all like <laughs> hardcore, you know, traditional what, skateboarding. What's up with that helmet? You know, right. and so it was like, oh, I didn't. I definitely felt like I had something to prove. So, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't good at skate parks, but that was around the time to where I was skating a lot of pools. So, I was a little comfortable with hitting. Like frontside grinds at a park, right? So you, you could know? get around, like you you could hang with them. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I wasn't like putting clips down or pictures or whatever, but I was skating, right? And like they were like, "Holy shit!" Like, oh, all right. Because uh, as far as they knew, it was just all nerds at downhill. Right, right. Older guys. Older guys. Racer guys, but not necessarily skater guys. People that maybe didn't necessarily want it, just kind of, they were just kind of like, oh, fuck, I'm, you know. All right, well, let's send this downhill guy with them and see what happens. And I didn't do great at the race. I didn't do terrible. But you did better than them. Yeah. Well, <laughs> nobody else. I remember um, Billy Green him waking up and Billy Green actually rode for TVS um, he woke up and took me to the downhill race because I had to be there early because downhill races start early right. and uh, he was like fuck man this is early <laughs> he had to drive me to the bottom of Sandia from downtown Albuquerque that's the kind of a ways yeah it's like two hours or something yeah but I remember racing Doing as well as I could. Um, and then from then on, Sector was stoked. Cool. So you got more boards, more help? Yeah, more boards. And then I just, I made myself present. I, I made sure that I'd hit them up every time I was in town. I'd come into town to skate. Um, you know, skating parks often pools so they were always sending me like double kickboards and um so it was, it was kind of a, a trip to to get on sector nine and they didn't necessarily have a downhill program and then to talk jeff boudreau into coming into it right that's kind of like a turning point for sector nine totally Cool. So, 2004 is like is full blown IGSA era. Yeah. And kind of a changing of the guard in terms of who is a top rider, right? Like that's when I start to recognize the names a little bit more. Like the dregs mm. guys were kind of starting to fall away. The courses maybe got a little bit more technical. Mm. And you start to see like. Aki, mm. uh, like yeah. Martin Segrist, yes, like some kind of a next generation of riders. Yeah, 
So, did you go to the Vail Pass race in 04? Um, yes. Awesome. The, the, uh, Vail, the, the Breckenridge one? And I think it was Rob McHenry's race, Vail Pass, National Championships. The one where, uh, he flipped that BMW SUV with Joe Lem and Jimmy Flint in it. Okay, no. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm thinking of um, Breckenridge. Like there was like that slalom yes. race in Breckenridge. Yes. Yeah, that was to like 2000. Okay. That might be 2004 also. Then no. Okay. Oh, never mind that. It's a story for another time. <laughs> okay. We got, got Ron McKendry to tell that one. All right. I like. I'll give you my version just because we're talking. But that Rob got these two BMW SUVs on loan. Because the race was sponsored by, like, he got the Vail BMW dealership to sponsor it somehow. Because <laughs> Rob's an amazing talker. So they gave him two brand new X3s because it was, like, a new car. And he wanted uh. to show it off at this, like, action sports venue. And they just kind of used him to, like, bomb around at the event and, like, shuttle people up and down the hill real quick if they needed to or something. And I know there was a fourth person in the car, but I don't know who it was. Rob was driving, Joe Lem, Jimmy, somebody else. And they were, like, ripping up to the top of the hill and caught this, like, little embankment just right and just, like, kick-flipped it. Rolled it, like, completely trashed. But the legend is that, like, uh, Joe Lem was, like, about to pass Jimmy Flint the joint and when they kick-flipped it and that, like, in the zero gravity, like, Jimmy Flint caught the joint and hit it. That's the legend. That's the legend in Jimmy Flint's mind. It wasn't told to me by Jimmy Flint. Oh. So I don't know. I don't know. I know for a fact they totaled that BMW. I don't know about the rest of it. And, and oh. Rob like got away with it. Didn't have to pay for it. I don't know how, but it worked out. So. Uh, so when when did Sector kind of start building the team that I would have known to be the team like the so like what Noah JM Rizzo kind of flavor and. Once again, this isn't me, but it's probably me. Um, <laughs> uh, so after that, after that race, um, I'd been in contact with Sector Nine, and Jeff Boudreaux. I was always talking to him. I was like, dude, when I was a kid, I used to watch videos of you, like killing it. You were Jeff Big Air Boudreaux on the Gravity videos right like, dude i'm not kidding chris lordson and i used to sit there and watch gravity um videos watching these guys just kill it and it was so much fun and then all of a sudden jeff's working at sector nine i'm like okay cool oh try and hold it together but uh but yeah it got to the point to where i was just kind of like berating him i was like dude you need to you need to skate you can do it you can Finally, he's like, okay, well, cool, all right. So we went and bombed, like, a few hills here and there, and then I was like, dude, just enter a race. So he went to Benilli. Okay. So that was IGSA was a series? Yep. That's and they when had... Benilli did, like, every month for, like, this the was summer. Straight hill Benelli or with a turn? Uh, at that point would have been straight hill nice yeah that's a good look yeah so yeah so jeff and in rob's old leathers 
and nice. <laughs> so huge he was doing that, and then he went to Mary Hill, and then nice. um, I talked him into going to Montreal. And so timeship Mary Hill, two thousand four, two thousand five. Uh, yeah, and then top challenge. So this is something I haven't really gotten to get into on this on the podcast much. What was top challenge? Top challenge was a race down Montreal. Kale, rail. I can't say it right because I'm not French Canadian. Yeah, don't try. They don't like that. But it was one of the sickest events ever. Right. I've I've only heard stories like it, but it's something that everybody talks about. Cludy was like gushed about top challenge. Everybody talks about it. So what what made it so great? Um, kind of like the Gravity Games, the production. Okay. Just the entire hill was was lined with a decent guardrail mm-hmm. like a like a an, an aluminum guardrail sort of that would keep people from being on the track right it had like a proper spectator fence correct so nobody would run across the road they had great security sweet and in the areas that skateboarders would go down an abundance of hay nice and it wasn't to take away from the race and um We'll get more into Montreal in a little bit, but <laughs> so yeah, it was kind of. I was able to introduce Sector Nine back into downhill because uh, I think, like you were saying, there were a lot of older fellas, right? <laughs> back in back in the day, and then I think they just. It, I was there at the right time. I can't say I was the most talented person or that I was the best, but. There at the right time, and I knew how to talk to people. I could convey my sure love for the sport. And well, and you showed up. I mean, you were there yeah. at all. And I was just like, dude, let's do this. Come on, guys. Like, you're Sector 9. Let's let's go. And kind of was able to, you know, Jeff was like, dude, this is cool. Because right. at, that, at that time, they were like, dude, Street Luge is, you know, that shit's whack. And getting downhill whatever a bunch of nerds and it's like you know it's it's kind of shifting we're, we're getting to a point to where we can have like personalities and and fun and and just kill it and, and like let's not gloss over the fact that like in 2004 like the time where they're telling you like the downhills like for a bunch of dweebs like sector nine was a company that made 36 inch double kicks and like a wide variety of flexi pintails with wave graphics. Like it wasn't like they were hardcore. Oh, and that's when they were getting into uh you know, the double truck. Oh yeah, the sidewinders. Shit. Right. So that's the yeah. kind of stuff that they were that they liked. So if for them to be like, nah man, downhill dudes are whack, like that was an well, interesting stance for them to take. And like I was saying, um, you know, Dennis and Rob Bolt I think they were just so disconnected with what was actually going on yeah. that they had no clue. And they had their own reasons for why they got kind of pushed out of downhill. And, yeah, and so I was kind of like, look, guys, there's there's some, like, merit to this stuff. Like, you know, we we need to kind of, at that point I said we because I felt like I was part of the team, but, right. like, you know, there's not money to be made but there's product to be developed you know you guys have 
the resources. Let's let's do something. And so they were like, oh, you know what? All right. <laughs> and then a few more downhill boards started coming out. Um, that's when the Goddess of Speed Wheels. I, yeah. Damn, I wish I had a set. Uh, Danger Bay 3. That's when Jody put me into the hay on purpose. Oh. He, he's on record for saying... <laughs> Danger Bay 3, he put me into the hay bales. I was on Goddess of Speed prototypes. And it was he and I out in front. Like, I did this massive foot brake. And then we went through this turn. And then he went, <laughs> pushed me in the hay bales and went, see ya. And then I was like, dude, why'd you do that? My shoulder popped out. It was in the semis. Ugh. And he's like, I didn't want to have to race you in the finals. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I've heard that story. <laughs> and he admits to it. And he did it. I'm sure he freely admits to it. Yeah. So was that your first shoulder injury? Um, that was, like, the first time it really, like, popped out, like, in a downhill situation. Because I'd say you're, you're a member of a class of riders that is probably around that time through maybe 20... 12, no. who I'd say shoulder problems abound. Oh. And I don't know if it's because of our setups and the way that we crashed, or I, a big theory of mine is it's, it's because of the change in the NJK pattern that it doesn't happen anymore. That back then you couldn't put your arms above your head in an NJK suit, so if you high-sided, heel-side, and you like put your hands out in front of you, your arms couldn't go up. They'd stop here, so it would just put your shoulder out the backside. Wow. Because since, uh, since the El Diablo pattern, which came out in, like, 2013, no one pops their shoulder out anymore. Do you think it has anything to do with big, awkward arrow helmets? No, because, I mean, plenty of folks still wore them or wear them. But maybe. But this is, this is the discussion. I don't have a good reason, but shoulder issues were really prevalent 2004 to 2012 like everybody who was serious about it blew their shoulders out back then but no one does now so i don't know why but my theory is that it has to do with suits do you think it's because maybe people got better at skating in general or maybe they got better at crashing or that we crash in a different way than we used to could be i've never been good at crashing <laughs> not for lack of trying though i've always been like you know i'm i'm a bigger type of a downhill skateboarder. Yeah. But um, never been good at crashing. So the Goss Speed Wheel was like kind of a moment. That was like... Like those wheels are still fast now. Like that was a good urethane. And like a fairly like usable... <coughs> excuse me. Usable shape. Oh yeah. And like yeah, Jody knew you were going to roll away from him if he didn't put you in the hay... Yeah. Like you were going to coast away from him out of that turn and, and beat him. Huh. So, 2005, events that are happening is like Benelli is all over the place, Time Ship Mary Hill again. Mm hmm. So, 05, that's, that's when Meatball won it? No, he won in 06. Yeah. So, 2005. What other races were happening? Danger Bay, obviously. Sully's still happening. Barrett's still happening. Right. Barrett. So was Barrett still sanctioned in 05? I'm not sure. Um, I'd have to check. Top Challenge. Yeah, Top Challenge. Um, 
New Mexico. Right, so then India. you're starting to get riders, like I said, that I know the names of, like Will Brunson. Uh-huh. Um, Nico Demaray. Yeah, oh, yeah. So he's, he's starting to be around. around. Scoot. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Scoot. <laughs> yep. So at this point, you're like, you've been a, a adult for a little while. Yeah. But you're still just as excited about it. And, like, it, the sector is in, it starts to develop boards. When do they start to add team riders? So, sector started, I, I don't know. At that point, it was, like, you know, I, I was kind of in and out. Um, and I've never been one to, you know, I, I didn't go get video footage. I, I didn't sit down on a computer and edit my stuff or you know so I was never really aware of what was going on um it was just kind of like oh cool hey what's up guys yeah um but uh I'd say I'd say right after Jeff got really fired up on downhill um started bombing hills uh he was borrowing Rob Moltz leathers and um I think it was Montreal. Uh, God, it, it might have been 04, maybe 05. And I was like, hey, because uh, it seems like Noah Sakamoto at that time was taking himself kind of seriously in downhill. So I was like, dude, because I knew um, Patrick and JM from... So they're all from the Bay Area. Yeah. And did they... So who... Who taught them? What was their... They were Cliff Coleman's boys. Okay. And Eli Smouse was part of that crew. for, But Eli's a little bit older. Right. So, you know, he had a job and stuff. But um, Patrick and Noah and JM were all bombing hills together. And I, I noticed what Noah was doing. And I suggested that to Sector and um, JM and Rizzo kind of followed. Cool. So that's pretty badass that you kind of were part of the, like, you orchestrated that a little bit. Yeah. They're like, those guys ended up being really iconic Sector 9 riders. Mm-hmm. So they kind of, they owe you for that one. Yeah. It was, it was pretty cool. I mean, you know, kind of seeing the Bumblebee suit stuff take off and... Uh, right, so Bumblebee suits was like 06, 07? 08. Okay. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, I remember that now. And that was like when... Uh, did you go to Europe that year? I didn't. But you did go to Go Fast Speed Days. I did. I was bitter. And I uh, called EG and I was like, dude, why wasn't I in Europe? Well, it's because Sector 9 knew I couldn't skate hills. <laughs> That had slides. Oh, I see. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I probably could have. But at the same time, uh, they sent me to England, and I had a blast, and I represented super hard. And it was, dude, it was so much fun. And and didn't you meet somebody from Metallica in the airport? Yes, I met Kirk Hammett. Sweet. And with your, because of your helmet. Mm-hmm. Epic. Yeah. He, uh, he was behind me in the metal detector, and my friend went, Oh, well, when he walked through, did the metal detector go off? (laughs) 
Christ, he's never heard that joke at a fucking airport before. But yeah, I walked up to him and I was like, hey man, um, I'm a fan, uh, my name's Danny, and he's like, oh, what's that? And I was like, oh, it's my helmet for downhill skateboarding, and he's like, oh, okay, cool, well, and then he walked to the gate for San Francisco, I walked to the gate for LA. Wow. But yeah, so that was sick. But yeah, you know, uh, Sector 9's been awesome. And you still ride a Sector 9 board now? Yes. Uh, the board I've ridden today. Right. You just take a run today. I, bet. I did. 20 years later. Yeah. Um, it's pretty cool. I, I can dig it. I've got uh, some Rogue trucks and some Venom wheels. So, at this point in your skating career, I mean, they call it a career, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But... How do you feel about all this? How do you feel about your history and your your contribution and where where the scene is now? You know, um, I feel pretty cool. Like, I think I I don't know. I I think skateboarders are artists, so. They have a tendency to want to latch on to things that they've helped create and mm-hmm. not want them to, to turn away from anything to, you know, like, I did this. I want it to kind of stay this way. I want it to be this way. And so there's sort of a, a growing pattern to let yourself acknowledge the fact that there are a lot of people younger than you are, a lot of people more ambitious, a lot of people that have ideas that you don't and where I feel right now I think I feel very appropriate you know I'm not I'm not to where I feel like I'm gonna get on a board and set any records or do anything crazy or awesome but you know to take a run down the hill today and to see these guys having fun and to know that I've done some sort of something. (laughs) Um, It's kind of crazy. I was going to tell you about some stuff. It it was a while ago. I, I had some ideas about board shapes. Okay. And we're talking in like the early 2000s I'm like thinking hey Sector hey I, I want a stiff board that's got like a a pointy nose and you know just basically like boards they've been making for the last 10 years but I was thinking while I was jamming down ditches going yeah dude this would be sick and Sector's like uh, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know, stuff like that. When I look back, I'm like, God, if I were to just kind of push it a little more or if I were to film myself a little more or, you know, whatever. But, no, I, at this point, I, I feel very comfortable. I think it's it's a really cool thing what guys like Scott are doing and having downhill events and keeping the scene alive. And it's cool to see dudes in arrow helmets standing yeah. at the top of the hill and just, like, frothing just 
and I saw a few dudes push in today that, dude, won it as hard as anybody else does. And so I think that's badass because oh, I remember what that feeling is like standing at the top of the hill and, and thinking that, like, you can win and having it in your head that you can. Like, that's that's a feeling that's rarely replicated. <laughs> yeah, like, Calvin and I have been talking about this all weekend, especially after hanging out with Clutie, and he got all fired up about it, obviously. Mm-hmm. But that a big part of, like, why we kind of have to keep coming around for a little while longer, at least, is that once you've done this kind of on this level and you've been around it for this long, like your regular jack-off friends at home are just never really going to understand what it's like. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Like well, n- none of them have ever like stood on the start line at Barrett for the finals and they'll never know. So you have to get around some people who know a little bit. Otherwise you, you don't feel like you can be understood. Yeah. And, I mean, dude, compared to you, like, you've done some of the sickest hills in the world. I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of few and far between, but I, I think there's that basic kind of feeling that, you know, whether you're a high-level rock climber or uh, a surfer or, you know, kind of any, anything that you're really going for that you really want, like, it... It gives you a certain feeling that, um, yeah, it's it's badass. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of cool when you can be around others and you can be like, oh, oh, those are the wheels you're going to use? Okay, cool. Oh, oh, let me squish them. All right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, those check out. All right. Let me hand them back to you. Okay. You know, <laughs> that kind of stuff is just, it's the best. Just And being around good friends and... I think that's that's my biggest takeaway from downhill skateboarding, I'd have to say, is um, the memories and the people that I've met. And that there's nothing that can replace that, man. Right. And it's interesting, you know, the way it is now, just because there's so many more people, it's going to be more diluted. But when I think about the the time that, that you experienced this, that I did, you know, the late 90s or, like, mid-2000s, era that I wasn't a part of, it almost seems like my vision of it is that everybody then was a character. Dude. That it was like, there was like almost a cult of personality for every participant. You think about guys like Biker, Limo, Chappet, you know, all the, uh, just the way everybody talks about the Clutie, the way everybody talks about these guys was like, everyone was such an individual you well, almost couldn't like there was so much energy in that group that you almost it just attracted stuff it couldn't get away from it and that was kind of during the time to where there weren't so many people into it to where you could put a and they were characters and the helmets they wore and right. the leathers they had on like they almost took that character on you know and yeah <laughs> i know what you're saying but it's just kind of like, dude, it. you kind of took on that personality, you know? Um, when you're standing at the top of a mountain and you know you're going to go down it as fast as you can on the skateboard. Right. Uh, Some bullshit homemade helmet. Yeah. 
And instead of just, you know, one monotone leather color and that your helmet matches it so you just kind of look like a blur, but, you know, I don't know. It, it was a whole different thing. And I definitely, I don't know, for whatever reason, I feel like I've always related to you a lot in this because you were you were the kid when <laughs> yeah. you showed up, right? And yes. def- And I was too. Like, when I started coming around at 16, mm-hmm. but I was competitive in racing, like, it, it was, I kind of started hanging out with, the, like, an older crowd and kind of was a part of it in that way. And so I've kind of felt that story a little bit. So it's cool to hear you go through all of this and tell me, you know, where you get to at the end of it, because, you know, I'm going to be at the end of it at some point. Well, and I think, I think you're more of a hard-ass than I've ever been, but, yeah. You're always very talented. Oh, thanks. A lot younger. <laughs> I mean, so so know. I will, uh, listeners. I will I will tell on myself a little bit. Uh, the first time I came to Barrett, so I used to have long hair, right? So it was like <laughs> down past my shoulder. And the first time I came to Barrett, I narrowly avoided. Uh, my nickname was almost mini bike. Almost mini bike. <laughs> And I don't know if you guys were just, like, kind enough that you decided to, like, pull that back and not make it catch on, because it could have been, like... I think that was McKendry's doing. McKendry, like, saved me from that? I think so. All right. As far as I know. And and whether or not, like, you know, Max Caps was, like, saying, hoping that you'd roast me a little bit, but that at that time, that, like, you were saying to somebody, you're like, God, man, that guy really reminds me of Biker. Me? And, uh, yeah. Oh. About me. And then yeah. at the time, because I was like 16, 17, I was like, oh, that's fucking awesome. Because like, I, I didn't know that. I didn't know shit about bikers. So I thought that was really cool because I was like, ah, bikers, like, I think he's, got first... a, he's got a hero card. Like, he must be badass. But now now on what I know more about biker, I'm like, you know, I probably did remind you of him when I was 17, but I'm not sure I'm proud of that anymore. Well, here we go broing down. But <laughs> the first time I remember meeting him was at Johnny Miller's. Okay. In 08. No, you met me at Mary Hill before that. No, well, no, no, you're right. Mary Hill would have been after that. Yes. You're right. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Mary Hill's the first time I talked to you. There you go. Yeah, because I thought you were a mini bike. I was like, dude, fuck this guy. I'm sorry. Really to cuss in your podcast? Yes. Just did. It's um, fine. You've been keeping it really clean. I've been impressed. Well, <laughs> no, I was like, dude, this. And we were in the fucking hotel and saw you slalom right it was the gorge games and we were like Son on of the tv bitch that's zach god and then the next morning you were like oh we were hanging out eating waffles i told that story on the venom podcast or not podcast um youtube video oh yeah but yeah that's how it happened <laughs> i was like oh yeah not bad when uh, that that race at Johnny Miller's was fun, I remember the uh, the one arm bandit lost his arm in the tall grass. Dude, I remember you going down from uh, that that thing and then that roll in, that sketchy roll in. Yep. Yeah. I was like, holy shit! And you were wearing a, like a funky flyaway helmet. Yep. Yeah, an original uh, one, but it was like really long, up. like black dicky shorts or something. Yep, that sounds right. With pads. Yep. 
huge pads. Yep, still still wear huge pads. Yeah. And Andrew's buddies were just, Gomez and Lopez. Gomez and Lopez. How can I forget that? <laughs> um, yeah, I just remember the photos from that. Lopez was really good. Yeah. Just like, like trail slide up on that quarter pipe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was awesome. But yeah, that's okay. You know, I, it's funny. I'm. I maybe I was kind of like biker because I didn't really get along with biker. <laughs> and I mean, maybe because we we didn't like each other because we saw a little too much of each other and each other. But <laughs> yeah, for whatever reason, I like kind of butted heads with him a little bit. He but he wanted me to ride for dregs. And I, I, it obviously never came to fruition, but I thought about it. Could you imagine if that would have happened? I don't know, I don't know if anything would be any different now, but, well, maybe. Well, Danny, thank you so much for coming out here. And we're going to get more put together tomorrow because we got to tell me about everything you brought in your boxes. So yeah. So I can get that all I mean, documented. Shit. But but we got a bunch to work with here. And the, uh, this is like... I said the whole point of this project is I want to get these stories in hard copy. I don't care how I don't care what the information is. It just needs to be preserved because one day I'm not going to be able to get you out here again, and I better have this stuff recorded or it's going to go away because the the goddamn millennials don't know about this. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm.